Have you ever used like gone fancy for breakfast and like bust out the griddle and make the homemade pancakes and actually get those microwavable sausages, but actually put them on the put griddle on the skillet on the skillet with bacon and eggs? You ever done that? Yeah, it's that good. Is it's good shit. You never done that, Victor? Never tried it. What is your typical breakfast? Bro, just like the typical Hispanic, like beans, eggs. That's not you see. That's not typical Hispanic. That's typical like Central American. Okay, that's what I'm that's typical. Cent- how do you how do you do that? I mean, of course, it's a cultural thing. And like once you grow up eating it, like it's, it's normal. I don't know. It's just like a generational thing. Like every like every person just learns it. No, yeah, because I don't mean to interrupt Victor, but just try to keep the microphone about a fist away from your face. It's got that arm, so if you want to move around, you can move it around and it articulates. So just so we get a good clean signal. All right. Yeah, because I'm always impressed when I hear, like, Central, like, what they eat for breakfast, like, rice, beans, fucking Ducal beans. You know what I'm talking about? Ducal beans. Ducal beans. Like, it's the brand. You know what I'm talking about? We went in Ducal. Sedano's? I mean, it's, I know it's, like, Central America. I think it's, like, Guatemalan. Yeah. But then I did it in Guatemala for two years, so I know about that shit. Right. You're, you've got a different perspective on it. And they, like, th- they gotta go freaking hard for breakfast, like meat like steak and all that bro, steak like churrasco. yes bro like but that's like normal for them and i'm like like tortilla like bro it's just like i'm like all, huh? that, all that fattening shit no but like you're used to eating that yeah. so i'm just like i'm impressed how they do that for breakfast and then like what you just typically what they don't eat till like two or three o'clock or yeah like maybe like three and then bro we just eat like so much that's the thing we eat big plates like on our dinner we have to eat rice all the time. No, I mean, yeah, that's it. But I feel like it's like a Hispanic thing just in general. Like, rice is the staple of the Hispanic diet. Yeah, but the thing is, like, if you wanted, like, a good health diet and stuff, like, I feel like, like, I cut rice literally, like, five years ago. For real? Just you, yourself? You're the only one in the family that doesn't eat no, rice? No, like, from dinner. And, oh. like, for, like, most of the, like, like, like my food, mm-hmm. why is, like, I cut Why'd it? you cut it? Because it's, it's fattening, dude. Like, oh, you would have carbohydrates, yeah, right? No, I mean... I mean, I can't touch it because like diabetes, but I'm trying. Oh no, because you, you'll be twenty. Because you'll be twenty. No, and then when you made that decision, yeah, that's why. No, and then that too. Like my uncle has diabetes. He has type. I think it's type two. Oh yeah, so just so like no, like, same thing. Like no carbs, none of that crap. Exactly. Okay, well, internet world, you're probably wondering who this stranger is. This is episode three, episode four, episode, episode three, five. Episode five. Episode five. Damn. Three, four, five. We did two. We did two on our own. And Gonzo was three, Gonzo so this is episode four. Right, but remember, we o- we didn't put the first one up. Oh, that's right. Episode the joke is that we started on episode two. That's right. Technically, this is episode five. So, internet friends, everyone watching us all over the world, hello from Denmark, hello from Central America, hello from every other place in the world. Um, this is the Illustrated Podcast, hosted by Sergio and David, and our special guest today is... My good friend, Victor. Victor, what's up, what's up, world? What's up, Victor? Please introduce yourself. Give us a brief summary about who you who you are, what interests you. Um, I guess how do you know me? Go ahead, Mike. Well, my name is Victor, and I mean, born and bred here in Miami. Um, my thing has always been movies, man. Legit, like every day of my life, like ever since I was born. I remember the first movie I ever I ever saw was The Lion. No, I lie. Toy Story was the first one I ever saw, man. And I always remember it. I remember specifically because, like, my parents took me to go see it, and I dressed up at it, like, so much times. Like, it was my favorite character, like, Woody. You dressed up as, as that for, for like, Halloween? For, for five years straight. I did that for one year in Halloween. I remember that. 
have pictures because i was it. so obsessed and then just like every time like my dad would take me to the movies like every saturday we would go work and then he'd be like yo let's go to the movies watch any movie so the so movies were always like a reward for you after doing your work exactly. with your dad it was like a it was like a prize you know that's like that's like a nice little connection how it got built yeah and then obviously like you know like right now with school like i actually got i finally got my transcripts fucking accepted into where to transfer today nice but i'll probably start like in the summer because right now it's like it's too late well that's very interesting because to the left of you our colleague my dear friend okay so you're you're going to dade's film program yeah what inspired that choice bro literally last year i was just i don't know man i was going to school and i was just like what are you going to school for for psychology but it wasn't my thing, you know, it was like, it was kind of a, like, you know, like a people pleaser uh, career. It was like, hey, do it's it. It's nice to tell people that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Because when people hear, like, oh, like, you want to do something, like, artistic, they'll be like, nah, you can't. Like, there's no money in that. Like, how are you going to support yourself? It's like, it's, and, like, especially coming from, like, I think, um, Hispanic. Kind no, of like, for sure. Because, I, like, the, up, you know, back in their countries, that's all they had, you know. To, yeah, of to course. Work, work, like, work, work work to get your money so like here when they hear it's like oh i want to get an english degree or something like what can you do with that exactly but i'm curious what what drove you to psychology because you say it's like people pleasing my but dad I, my dad he's the one that pushed it on you my dad he pushed uh physical therapy first because he was like oh you should get something in like you know no something solid something like solid, physical therapy is always going to be something and he works in the hospital so he's like i could hook you up um but then my grandma was like, yo, you'll be like a dope psychologist. And I was like, no way. So I tried it. I was like, but based uh, off what? Based off what evidence? I don't know. Because they always told me that I like I always like I'm always quiet. I'm always like listening to people. I always observe people like small stuff like that. You know? And you took that and you ran with it to psychology. I was just like, I, again, I didn't know who who I was or I mean, I knew what I wanted to do. But I guess I needed that support to like really like push me, you know, Um and it wasn't until, like, last year where I just, I mean, I wasn't doing, like, a lot of crazy shit, but I realized, like, going to school, I was just, like, zoning out in class. No, I, I mean, like, yeah, because like, it's something, if it's something to tell you, people-pleasing, no. but it's not, like, pleasing yourself. And then, literally, like, my job, too, like, starting my job has been, like, an incredible thing, too, because it's, like, I get to make my own money, and then I get to do what I want. Like, you know? But it's not only that, like, I know this my, well, I know this with you. And notice this when I took over my first job. Um, it just you just grow so much, like as a person, your first official job. Because yeah. we both like kind of work in the same like customer dealing with customers and all that. When it's like service industry jobs, in which you just like glow up socially and you like you realize oh how to do small talk, how to talk to people, what interests other people, yeah. and you like learn that quick time. Like it's like a quick time event, like in a video well, game. Well, you have to, right? It's the only way you're going to survive in those positions. I mean, you have to be able to to make a connection with people. You know, it's that that it's the connection and the responsibility of it that really. I mean, at least when it comes to the first the first gig, like you're mentioning. I mean, and like the other thing too, like at my job, like a lot of people are like into art. Mm-hmm. Like there are people like we're like on SoundCloud, they're trying to make it big in the music industry. So like, and then movies too. Like a lot of people were into them, so they will always tell me like, "Hey, like you know so much." Even though I don't feel like I know a lot, but from what I know, like a lot of people are like, "Damn, like you really know your shit," you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one time this guy told me, like, hey, you sure if you're going to be a writer or you want to create a story, just write down what, what happens to you every day or like your thoughts. Like, what are you thinking about? Why do you think this happens? Or what do you think about this? Or why do you don't like this? Or why do you like this? You Have know? you got started on that? Have you I didn't know. I, I literally, bro, um, on my last iPhone, I literally had like 
maybe like 10,000 words down. Pages are just notes of notes. Just like thoughts. And like experiences that I got on like last year. Like last year to me was like the best year. Like, cause again, so much things happened that I opened. And you up. traveled by yourself. That's like bro. that's something crazy. That's Have you done that. I mean, not not very far. As far as I've traveled by myself is Orlando. You know, I mean, it's not. This man just bought a ticket to Colorado and just posted by himself for like yeah. a week. I've thought about doing that. The problem is that it's just like money. You know, like I'm trying to make this movie next year, and it's just if I spend money on a plane ticket and airfare and then especially if I go somewhere to like Colorado or California, basically if I go anywhere weed is legal, that's where a lot of my money's going. <laughs> and I just, I can't afford that shit right now. I need, I need to make this movie and it's, yeah, but I, I, I gotta, I gotta do something like that. I mean, at the end, like once you make your movie, like, you know, and hopefully it all goes well, like you get to travel. So it's like, that's a more experience. Like to me, like that's what, my, what like, at least for me, like my movie's gonna be about last year, you know, about like the shit that I gone through. Okay. And th- there's a lot of good stuff, and there's a lot of kind of stuff that I was like, damn, like. Not I to put you that. under the gun, but right now, let's say I'm the executive. Of, I'm not gonna say A24 because like they're too like. I don't Are know, you asking us to do a pitch meeting right now? Yeah, is do that, a pitch meeting, Victor. You have one minute to describe the movie. Really? Of what you want to make uh, oh. based on last year. Based on last year, I'll be a low-level company. What's what's a crappy movie? Paramount? No. What's no. the spy? <laughs> what's what's the Spy Kids movie? Who made those Spy Kids? Mo- Miramax? Uh, yeah, Dimension. Miramax. D- Dimension. Okay, I'm freaking Roberto Rodriguez <laughs> Marina at, at Dim- Troublemaker Studios. At Troublemaker Studios, Dimension, whatever you call it. All right, Victor. So a pitch? Yeah. All right. I mean, I mean, it's a basic pitch. It's just literally like. It's an autobiography of, like, what I've gone through last year and how, like, one kid or anybody could go through something that they never gone through. If It's either mistakes or, or, like, triumphs or, like, setbacks and push forward to what they really want to be. I know it sounds convoluted as hell, but, like... No, I mean, it's, it's... I mean, it sounds just, like, the... It sounds to me like... What's that German word? That okay. fancy German word? The builder <laughs> The builder It's just like the journey of just growing up. Okay. Well, yes. So that yeah. actually is something I wanted to say. Like, I mean, not. I'm not trying to be like demeaning when I say this, but that just kind of sounds like what the journey of a story typically is. Yeah. Like, it's about a character who starts in one place and ends in another. Um, what interests me is what what specifically. Are you are you are you think well actually the first thing I wanna dial this back a little bit before we get into pitching or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you wanna do in film specifically? Man, anything. Like anything. I mean that's that's a little too broad of a I know that's too broad, but answer. what I wanted to do is um cinematography. That was one okay. thing. Because every time I look at a film, just like I mean looking at nineteen seventeen, mm-hmm. it was literally a continuous shot, but it was edited to be so it seems like it's a, a whole shot, the whole movie. But camera work man yeah that, roger deakins that, is, is that insane. to me is that to me is like i think really important in like storytelling because it always it makes a visual emotional connection to you you know like whatever the character is going through like you see it and you can relate to it like it's a relationship that you built on that's what i personally think about camera cinematography work. but uh, i mean again to for me it's just to be on a set and just learn what i can have you been on sets before never no, not once and okay. I went to Cali, and, and and it's funny because I went to LA, and I was kind of finding to see if they were making like a you know like a set or something there. And um, I have an auntie that lives over there, and she's like, oh, she knows this like kind of like producer that she cleans house for. She's like, oh, anytime you want to like you know like move you know make your move, you can always come to to Hollywood. But 
I don't want to take that route. I want to take like an indie route, you know, like something small. No, I small. agree with you. That's that's why I'm staying down here, right? I mean, I in October, uh, not October really. I guess I would have decided in August, but last year I had decided to move to LA and try to make a career work out there for, as a writer, right, writing for yeah. TV. Um, but I would say in about October, toward the end of October, early November, I got this idea for a film that I could try to make it over there. Yeah. But then the culture over there is completely different because a lot of people go over there for the purpose of trying to make it, trying to make themselves big, trying to make a name out of themselves. So you're having to deal with all that. Plus, there's going to be a lot less people who are willing to... To, to work with you just for the, the, the mystique of being part yeah. of a, of I mean a movie. Because everyone, yeah. everyone knows what that is out there. Over here, down here, you can still sort of get away with like, hey, we're making a movie. We'd like to use your location, you know, and some people will let you do that for free. And, you know, you can make connections that way. But over there, it's not the this idea of of, of the of cinema. And it's the, not so romantic anymore. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's or not it's as not, romantic over there. Or it's not like as organic. I feel like in over there, it's just kind of like it's. It's kind of superficial in a way. Well, it's it, the center of the industry. Exactly. Th there's so much. There's so much going over there. Like, again, you have um, all these celebrities, you know, like the Kardashians and like, it, like there's just so many celebrities. And again, um, there's so much competition over there mm -hmm. where it's like if you make your own, I guess, movie uh, with your own budget or with a small budget, like it's more organic and you relate to more. Like, no, There's more heart to it. There's more heart to it. Like right now, like... There's some Hollywood films that you go watch and you're like, okay, like they're good. But I mean, the past, like, I think, like, 10 years have been kind of like shitty, you know? Uh, they haven't been really, like, good. Like, and it's been independent movies that have been, like, the ones that. From that break through. That break through, like, you know. I've touched you emotionally. Like A24, like, Amazon, like, those small companies. Amazon? Yeah, Amazon makes movies too, man. I know they make movies, but would you consider them indie? Uh, well, I, no. Okay, so what I think what he's referring to is just Amazon tends to buy indie films, mm, right? Okay, okay. So that okay, becomes okay. part of their brand. And Netflix kind of does this to, to a certain extent as well, where, like, uh, creators will make their movie, they'll take it to a film festival, typically the ones that actually, you know, end up getting bought out or at the film markets at uh, Toronto or, uh, or in uh, Sundance. Or Sundance. Sundance as well. Um, like uh, The Farewell was uh, Lulu. What? Lulu Young? Was it? Was it Lulu Lulu yeah. Young or Lulu yeah. Wang? Yeah, I Lulu Wang, yeah. whatever. I still gotta see uh, it. That show was like. But that was really that was the Sundance movie, right? Okay. And then A twenty four picked that up, I think, for like eight million dollars or something like that over at Sundance. So, that's that that's what Amazon's typically doing. I mean, Amazon does fund their own stuff, but I think mostly it's TV. Yeah. What that, they, was that they that they generate themselves? Was this one? I mean, um, was that independent? Was that indie? What? What was the one? Something by the sea. Man Manchester by the sea. Oh yeah. Was yeah. That, that, that would have been small. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'd consider that indie. He uh, with this guy's brother won the Academy for best supporting uh, or best actor. Best actor. He won. What was his name? Uh, Casey, Casey Affleck. Affleck. Casey Affleck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ben doesn't have anything, right? He, he has he best picture and for best Argo and best director. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Are you serious? Yes. In 2012. Or How I does guess Ben Affleck have a best director for not Quentin Tarantino? <laughs> That's crazy to think about for a second. I don't know. Wasn't Ben Affleck in uh, Honey, We Bought a Zoo? No, that was Matt Damon. No, that, yeah, that was the other one. That was the other Boston guy. <laughs> the That's other crazy. half of Goodwill Hunting. Dude, that's crazy to think. I didn't. Oh, my God, he has. That's crazy to think about. Good for him.
What's wrong with Argo? What's with that petty no, joke with Argo? That, it's not nothing. Argo, fuck yourself. It's a reference to the movie, and if you'd yeah. seen it, you would, you would know that. Yeah, I did see Argo. Oh, you, did, you, you sure? Yeah, but I'm always like, what, five, six years? I'm not going to spend every day thinking about Argo. Oh, is it like a cl- it's literally a classic with like the decade. Is it a classic? I mean, I think it's it one best picture. I think it's okay. And, I so mean, did, and so did the woman fucking a fish one best picture. Oh What's that God. movie called? Yeah, the, the Shape, Shape of Water. Water. And the that Shape was a fantastic water. film. Thank you very uh, much. Okay. Yeah, when you're fucking. A, okay. Okay. You fucking art snooty arty types. <laughs> okay. You know what? No. Didn't know. Oh, I know. Green Mile was last year. The Green Book. No, Green, Green Book. Book. Green Book. Nah, that was a steal, bro. I didn't think that was. Nah, like Green shit. Book was. I mean, I haven't. I, mean, I didn't it, see Roma. It was good. It was. I good. didn't see Roma, so I can't tell you anything. It, it Green was, Book was whatever. It was good. Like, Green yeah, it's a cute movie. But I think, damn, what were the other uh, movies over there for Best Picture? Um, I have to think off the top of my head. Cause they I'm were drawing b- a blank. Because they were like better ones, man. They were like really good ones. Okay, because I feel like if you're going to say Argo is a classic, the one that actually like made me feel something about a movie that I was like old enough to like digest it was The Artist. I feel like The Artist. Oh, yeah. The I mean, black and white one. I, I still haven't seen it. but like, You never saw The I Artist? That's the Artist is very good. Oh, that was my favorite of that year, and I was glad that it won Best Picture. But it's also, whenever Hollywood but it, but makes a movie also about ba- making movies... You're it almost guaranteed yeah, it's to it, get in. You're just jerking off Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> Let me find my list from last year. Let me see what it was. Um, all right, Green Book won. Damn, the favorite. I still have to watch that one and then go. Right. I haven't seen. Oh, well, Dunkirk was nominated, right? Yeah, but that was 20. That was 2017. Oh, that was the fish fucking year. <laughs> yes, that was the fish fucking year. Where's my 2018 list? Didn't I have one? Okay. Uh. I'm not going off of the Academy oh, list man. right now, but First Reformed came out last year. I don't know if you saw that one. That was Paul Schrader's movie with with Ethan Hawke. Ethan, I didn't see it, but I where he plays a priest. That movie is is. Really I mean, Jesus Christ, his performance in that movie is so good. I mean, Paul Schrader was the guy who wrote Taxi Driver. Oh, really? Yeah, and he wrote and directed this one. And it's if if you've seen that one, it's a similar sensibility where it's about a guy sort of, not necessarily being corrupted, but sort of going down the, the the dark spiral. Of, uh, of of things that are wrong with this world, uh-huh. and it's uh, is that the one about right is times. that the one about a priest? Yes, yeah. Okay, I've heard Ethan about Hawk it. Ethan Hawke plays I've a heard priest. About it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Amanda Seyfried's in it as well. Amanda Seyfried. Um, what else came out last year? Eighth Grade. Uh, oh, Eighth Grade God. with right, the old man. Eighth Grade. I, I fucking cried in that shit, man. Like that part where she's um when she's in the car. No, no, when she's in the fire with her dad, like um, and then she like hands the the like the lunchbox, and she throws it in, and then he's like, oh, what was that? He's like. Oh, I, and dreams. Oh, yeah, because at the, the end. Like, at that point, she's already, like, kind of, like, she's going through a lot of, like, stuff, like, for the first time, but she doesn't know how to handle it. Eighth Grade is such a fantastic movie. Yeah. And then and then he, like, tells her, like, um, he's she's, she's like, uh, do you get scared or did you ever, like, almost like saying, like, are you sad that you had me? And he was, yeah, like, he was I, like, no, like, like, don't ever think that. Like, that was such a really like, good movie. I was just, like. What was, a great debut by Bo Burnham. Great yeah, debut. I know. Usually, YouTuber does not make the transition over to uh, to film. Like usually, you end up with something like Smosh the movie. <laughs> What's uh, Smosh? Well, it, well, Smosh was for a point in time the most popular YouTube channel, right? I think. It, it, it how like old? How what year? Two thousand eight to like twenty eleven or something like that. What's Smosh? They were like a variety channel. They did like skits and a bunch of different, you know, type of like loud YouTube humor. I mean, you've seen thousands and thousands of imitations of it over the years i'm gonna have to you i'm gonna have to youtube with smosh victor you know what that is 
but typically you don't you don't see that it makes a transition like that but eighth grade was really like a just emotional and like really genuine and if it, it didn't feel like no it was very genuine it's a, like organic man. Yeah. that's the thing like those movies like um what was the last one i saw that was like uh that was like really good uh waves I don't oh i haven't seen waves man, it's super good it's super good but it's well, really it's you it, know the thing is with the the trailers for that movie and again this is me generalizing about something i haven't even seen the movie but the the trailer it it feels like every other kind of like what's the word is it is it class struggle or something like that like it it, it like the trailer felt a little generic to me like it felt like i've seen that trailer like a thousand times i mean i felt like i've seen the same thing in 19, i haven't seen 1917 but the trailer doesn't it doesn't impress me or nothing. I just hear good things. I'm going to see it. But, I mean, you can't judge a movie based off no, its of trailer. Course. I well, mean it, well, to some extent, you have to, right? Because, I mean, how else are you going to gauge? Whether, I mean, unless you're into, like, directors and you know the writers and all that, then you don't necessarily need to watch the trailer every time. But I've seen the trailer for Waves at least a couple of times, after, you know, from yeah. going to the theater. And it just, it didn't, like, it, it was hard to see exactly what the film was about. Like, I could get a general idea of it. But it was it felt like too general, yeah. you know. But again, I'm I'm talking about I mean, the trailer. I'm not talking about the actual film here. No, I mean the um, the thing about it was mostly um, it was class based. So it's like you you know a lot of stories about that, you know, mm-hmm. about um, modern day you know American families, and um, the way it was it was directed. It was like more like on a just like um, all emotions, you know, like tragedy. Um, basically, this family who who has everything. Like and the like, um, their son has like everything, you know. And it's like one mistake could like literally like define your whole life. And it's like the way they did it uh, was like super perfect because it was like they focus on him and then they focus on like the sister. Oh, okay. But it, but it was like this complete transition of like kind of like loss and then like finding hope in like somebody else. Okay. But it, but, but it was really. I mean, but like, so okay. I mean, not to get into too much on the spoilers, but it's not about it's not about the trauma that follows from like your parents. To no, the children. No, no, no. Okay, it, okay. It's it's literally like something where you, like you know the same thing that I was telling you about with the whole um, like career base where it's like your parents want the best for you. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that where it's like, you know, um, they provide you the foundation to kind of give you that liberty to do what you want, um, but they push you to do something that maybe you might not agree with, but you're doing it because you want to please them, and then when something happens either something bad or you have a change of mind or something like that that's where the whole um opposite thing happens where it's like okay like i want to do what makes me happy and my parents have to understand that that's what the movie kind of is in a way you know but it's like it it, like it it was it was it was amazing man like i mean i don't want to obviously talk about it and spoil it because you guys you know have to see it but it's a really good movie okay i'll have to check that out when it gets on on streaming and um, Honey Boy, I don't know if you've seen. I r- I've really wanted to watch it. Yeah, yes. it's it's Shia LaBeouf's movie. He it's about him his experience his as a child actor, but he's playing his dad yeah. in the movie Shia LaBeouf, and yeah, an even it's sti- supposed to be a great performance. So, so it's an it's even Steven scene. No, it's yeah, no, like um, no way. Well, I mean, th- I mean, I, I is it about even Steven specific? I mean, I imagine they can't mention that no, because it's yeah. a Disney no, brand, but no, but they they um, it's like his childhood. But like the thing is like. Um, while he was doing even Steven, he was living in a motel with his father. Like, and people, what? yeah. And then it was crazy because we grew up watching even Steven, and it was like, this kid is like has it all, you know. 
he's literally making like transformers and like even you know he has money for yeah. steven and shit but like you don't really know the backstory and that's why you know like a lot of people kind of like turn against him when he had that whole like breakdown you know where he like kind of disappeared and he was just like everybody's like oh what the hell happened to shia labeouf and i was like Dude. i felt like he was always talented he's super talented man he's super talented that's crazy. Like, a lot of people don't realize like how talented he is. Like he's super talented, man. Like he literally wrote that like that whole script while he was in in uh, rehab for um for PTSD. Holy smokes! And he was and like the kind of therapy they did was um exposure therapy. So like you know the like the therapist would be like, hey, you know, can you reenact what trauma you know or mm-hmm. like what situation you were that made you do this? And that's where he like wrote it. Like he literally wrote like seventy pages, and like he like he literally was about to quit like acting. He was gonna go into like the Peace Corps and all that stuff, but it was just like you know, like damn, like that's crazy to think like somebody that big would just kind of like. But just again, sacrifice gave it all up. But like, but again, maybe he was looking for that happiness, and maybe movies were kind of a way of like, yeah, like the fame and everything was was good, but it didn't last forever, you know. I mean, that's, I guess, the whole dilemma with the childhood star. They usually get too bright and they burn out. Yeah, I was out. thinking the exact same thing, that that, that that tends to happen. And a lot of times it, it chews the kid up and it spits him out and they, they never recover. You know, it's not it's not often that you get. I mean, look at, like, I Britney Spears was a childhood uh, like star. Chi- I mean, but yeah. her and Justin Timberlake, they're a product of Disney, the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, right? The, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, not, yeah, not the, the Mickey, Mickey Mouse, Mouse Club. Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. Ryan Gosling was a, was a product of oh, that yeah. as well. Really? Yeah, and, right. I mean, they See managed video, to come out dancing? on top, right? <laughs> But then you have others like, uh, oh my God, what was the the hidden ones? Because now we kind of see a generation. Jake Lloyd, okay, Phantom Ooh. Menace, the kid who played yes, Anakin dude. Skywalker. Yes. He went to like jail recently or something for like getting in like a car chase and like getting like yeah cops on the on the on the freeway and yeah, yeah like he did not. I mean, I mean, I mean, even with that one specifically, enduring years of abuse from from Star Wars fans was probably did not help the fact that yeah, you know, this guy, w- this kid went to school and people made fun of him for being in Star Wars. The one that always you know? shocks me the most, though. I mean, I felt she was very talented. I think way more talented than some because now. I feel like all these child stars that do make it, they're not even, like, known for anything. They're just more known for, like, for their looks. Because, I mean, Nick, can you tell me anything that Victoria Justice has done that's Bro, of quality? Done. That's of quality. Not the Rocky Horror Show re- reboot. Nah, she only did the... Where did she have that show? What show? That uh, Victorious? Yeah. Victoria. Nickelodeon? What did she do after that? That was the only thing, right? I mean, what, what happened to Miranda Cosgrove? What happened to Jeanette McCurdy? What happened to... Samantha, what was her name? Samantha something? Samantha from, who? From iCarly. The other girl, the blonde chick. Yeah, Jeanette McCurdy. Jeanette McCurdy. That, that was her name? Yeah, oh, Jeanette okay. McCurdy. What happened to... Well, you know what, what happened? Happens? What happened to Demi Lovato? She's like an average singer, but now I feel like people know her more because like her mental health struggles. But even like Selena Gomez, what is she known for? Disney I don't show. think her music is that yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, and what movies has she been in? Spring know, Break. But what Spring I'm, break what I'm finding with a lot of the people you're mentioning is that they're, they're, they seem to be actresses that have like actually, like I guess, exited. You know, because they don't really. I mean, whatever. I'm not. I can't. I can't speak but for people but, that I but don't I mean, know. But, but they're I, super relevant. For example, the most Selena Gomez is the most like followed person on Instagram, on the whole website. Mm-hmm. Like she has clout. Like she's very influential but it's like how like why i mean at the end people you know they don't really look at the at the influential part they kind of just want to be a part of like her 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 fame but basically. why but what makes her famous 
Because what? Because she was cute on. Well, at this point, it's Waverly years Place? of exposure, right? I mean, reinforcement, okay. really. Yeah. She's been around for so long that she'll just, I guess, always be around. If she's the most, if she's the most popular person on Instagram, the most followed person on Instagram. That's for interesting. You, you over over the Kardashians. Yeah. No way. Yes. What? Yes. Um. But the one that really sticks I'm out sure to me—she's selling perfume or some shit, man. I mean, I would, it, but what keeps she'd her be relevant? Stupid you not me? to. Because I know she was in a Woody Allen film, like. But what keeps her relevant? Well, Instagram, I guess, right? I mean, I mean, honestly, if we're if we're being honest about all this shit, right? The only people who go to the movie theaters anymore are people who are interested in really small movies. They go to art houses or anything like that. But like the mainstream theaters, like Regal, AMC, it's superhero movies, right? Yeah. So the big, big tentpole event movies where general audiences tend to go. But what is what do most people do for entertainment now, right? They're not even really engaged with shit that's on Netflix or on Amazon. They're on their phones. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. Twitter, most of the uh, time, Dude, too. millions of people following you on Instagram is way, way more lucrative for you as a, as a brand than, than doing any sort of movie, you know? It would make perfect sense to me that if she's the most followed person on Instagram, that it would be very easy for her to do, you know, oh, look at this sweater I'm wearing, right? And all of a sudden, there's a hashtag in there for the brand of that sweater, and now that, you know, yeah. like ton hundreds of thousands of people are going to go look for that sweater, going to go buy that sweater, and she gets a little percentage every time someone clicks that link. You know, affiliate marketing, that sort of thing. Again, this is just... I don't know what she does specifically, you know. I mean, but not to dive like too much into it, like the influencer life. But what happened to Amanda Bynes? Because she <laughs> had a breakdown and she never came back from that. Well, some people don't want to come back, you know. I mean, what think about the Olsen it. Twins? If you have those kinds of breakdowns, why would you want? Why would you willfully inject yourself into the environment that caused that breakdown in the first place? You know. That's fair. I didn't think about it like that. They're just sad though, because it's like, like um, she was in that show, All That. Remember? Oh yeah, all no the Amanda show and yeah, all that. And, all that. and you know what? I really it took me like ten years. Like I took, I was like I realized this when I was seventeen, eighteen. But that was just like a childhood SNL. Yeah, but they yeah. freaking nailed it, and it was fantastic. And it was funny as fuck. And too. It was like, funny. Like, yeah, a lot of people didn't like realize like how like important that shit was to like kids. Like popcorn art. pants, the girls' room, Tony pajamas. No, I classics. remember. I remember thinking the same thing. Like in middle school, thinking about all that as like an SNL. Sort I of didn't for, never for made kids. that. I never made that. But you connection. know what's interesting? They have an even bigger connection. Is that Keenan Thompson was a was a big part of all that, and then became. I mean, I think he's like the longest running cast member on, on SNL. SNL right now. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty so crazy to think about. There. Yeah. So I wanna I wanna double back here. So you've never been on a film set, and you you're gonna go to to Dade's film program. Yeah. Now, have you ever tried to shoot anything yourself? No. Why not? I mean. I wouldn't consider like recording, um, like when I go on vacation or stuff, like I was shooting. But like, I don't know. I like I guess I just want like the help, you know, the support. I guess some structure. Yeah, and then obviously like I need to buy like a really good camera too, so it's like money wise too. Okay. No, of course. But I mean, like nowadays, I mean, it's also you scary because like you, because you can't just. I mean, uh, theoretically, you can't just point and click. But it's just like what's good what's not good yeah. you're just like going in like blindfolded i know but i feel like i feel like that's a skill that only you can develop on your own like i feel like if you're depending on someone else to tell you what's good and what's not whenever you're on a set and you have to make those decisions for yourself you have you have no one else to depend on it's that's your true. whatever whatever you're bringing to the table whether it's cinematography or writing or directing or acting it's not like i mean yeah obviously you're interfacing with the director and the director's giving you feedback but it's not especially if you're in the director's seat 
it's not like I have someone to confer with like, oh, it's what your vision is it? Is it this or that? You know, you have to decide what that is. But it, that's that's how it is on every level. Right. Even as even as an actor, even as a cinematographer, you have to decide, OK, this is what I'm going to be doing. You know, you you have to be able to decide if what you're doing is good. Most of the time when you do something like you've never really shot anything before. Mm. I'm going to tell you right now, the first thing you shoot, it's going to make you sick to your stomach. You're going to look at it in the editing bay. No, no, for real. Mm. You're going to look at it in the editing bay and you're going to want to blow your brains out because it's like, I can't believe I wasted everyone's time and I wasted all this money and this is a disaster. But that is the first step and you have to move past that. That's the thing is that, I mean, it took me years. I'm, I'm, I'm not stressed. I'm like, I want to say, maybe seven years of writing scripts before I got to a place where I'm like, okay, I think I know how to write a good script, yeah. you know? And even with film, like I still, to some degree, am not at a place where I'm like, I know exactly how to make something good. Like one, one thing that my films really, really suffer on is production design. Cause a lot of times we're just shooting in the houses as they're already set up. Yeah. Like this last movie I did for, for, for day uh, V four, five, one, like they're supposed to be androids and the only way we could really get around that because we didn't have the budget and we didn't have the time was that we just dressed them all in white so that they would look you know distinct from, from you know else. human from from human characters but it let me let me, let me try to get back to what i'm saying y you have to be able to push through that feeling of like oh man this shit really fucking sucks because once you do that enough times you'll be able to find something that's good and you have to do it a lot of times. The only way you're going to be able to find that that good thing, maybe five seconds out of this three-minute movie that you shot were good. But those five seconds, you figure out how you did those five seconds, and you try to do that again. And you got to do it over and over and over and over again. And film school, to some degree, provides a decent environment for you to do that in. But if you ask me, and again, take my opinion with a grain of salt, I do still live with my parents. Uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth it. I, I went to film school. The only reason I went to film school was because uh, my mom threatened to kick me out of the house if I didn't go to college. Because I've been making, I've been making movies since, I, I really have been making movies since, since middle school, but making movies with other people since high school. And when it got time to be senior year, I was like, I don't, like I'm not going to go to this program where I already know how to do most of the stuff that they're going to be teaching me. Yeah. And then I got in this huge fight with her and I, I, I distinctly remember like my door being closed and her sliding this paper under my door. No way. Of all the, all the filmmakers that like went to college for school. And again, it's like Scorsese's on there, Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, yeah. but it's like, yeah, they went to USC in the seventies yeah, when that was still a thing that you did if you wanted to learn. Cause one thing that those people didn't have that we have now is YouTube and DVDs, right? There are behind-the-scenes documentaries on everything. People are always taking pictures and explaining things. There's interviews. There are literally hundreds and hundreds of hours of content available for free on the Internet dedicated to teaching you how to do the most minute things, whether it's editing, visual effects, sound design, cinematography, anything technical you want to learn about film, you can just ask Google, and Google will tell you, you know, it. it for the informative aspect of it, I think film school is a complete waste of money. I think if yeah. I think if you're going for the for the actual like like textbook information, you'll you'll learn just as much buying the actual books yourself. I can lend you some books yeah. if you really want to learn about the technical aspects. Now for me, it was it was in a um, in Dade in a Wilson, which I took a um, film appreciation 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it was funny because um, Paul Thomas Anderson sent, uh, said something. He was like a like he was in a film class, mm-hmm. and the guy asked him like, "Oh, you have to write um, a story based on like these like you know like 1930 like films." And then one of the guys asked like, "Oh, can I write something based off like The Terminator?" And he was like, "And like the professor's like, oh, why are you gonna write something like that?" But it's like he literally. And then like Paul Thomas Anderson, he literally walked out because he was just like. Why are you gonna make us write something that's old, where we have, where, where obviously like that's where f- like film started, like in the twenties and the thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, but Terminator is obviously like a great story too. Like if you see the movie, like it's it's an amazing story about a robot uh, trying to protect the kid, but also the fact of the whole like time uh, capsule thing, where it's like the past, the present, and the future. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why can you make a movie based on that? Why, like what, like why does like a movie have to just be about like a simplistic idea why can it be something out of the ordinary too like well because that teacher's a pretentious asshole i mean that's 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 ultimately what he's trying to say there you know that oh the terminator isn't a real film right like these films from the 20s and 30s this is when cinema was true and you have to learn how to design and like don't get me wrong film history is important and we need to keep these ideas alive and we need to keep old films alive because it's important for the history of the medium that we understand where we came from right but like, I mean, okay, actually, this brings me up to something. So when we were talking about Scorsese's comments on the last show mm-hmm. and I was talking out of my ass and we, okay, so he, he actually did an interview recently for The Hollywood Reporter where he was talking to a bunch of different directors of movies oh. that came out this year and he had a chance to explain what he was talking about. And the, oh, about the, 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 official, the official quote was that it was, he likened Marvel movies to theme park rides, right? And a lot of people took that as a negative thing, Right. But theme park rides are sort of a of a of an institution of of like American, uh, I guess American culture, right? Oh, American you go recreation. To these theme parks yeah. Because you you know you know the experience you're gonna get when you go wait in line for Pirates of the Caribbean, but that doesn't make the experience lesser or, or or anything like that. You can still enjoy it and still connect with it. And you know these these Marvel movies, they are an institution. They're uh, they are a part of American culture. I'm not a huge fan of them. But just because I'm not a huge fan of them doesn't mean that they're not movies. That doesn't mean that, you know, just because someone enjoys them that I have to take that away from them. If you want to get into, like, the numbers and all that shit, and a lot of people like to do that, especially, you know, some people who are are insecure about the shit that they like. Oh, this movie made a billion dollars, right? You're talking about this tiny little movie that didn't make all that money. But it's like, yeah, okay. But if the amount of money a movie made was, like, a measure of its quality, then the Transformers films would be the the highest, the greatest movies ever made because they make the most money, right? But we all know that they're not exactly high-quality films, you know? But just because they're not high quality films doesn't mean that if you enjoy them, you're like wrong for enjoying them. Or if you want to make movies like Transformers or in that case of the the professor, if you want to make Terminator style movies or whatever, that doesn't make you any lesser of a filmmaker. Someone has to make those movies. You know, someone's there to watch those movies. It, that's the thing is that you got to find what it is that you're going after, you know, like what it is that excites you about the form. Like, what is it that excites you about films? Like, what kind of movie do you want to go see when you go to the theater? Damn. I mean, I just want, like, basically, like, a movie that's just relatable, that's just about everyday life. Like, that's the kind, like, that, I mean, that's the type of movie that I want to make, you know, mm-hmm. about everyday life. Because, like, um, it's something that could touch someone that's in need or that's, you know, and, and like, all these movies about, like um, like, coming of age have been, like, kind of like the foundation where I want to build my films from because um especially like 
the adolescence. I think that's like the most important like age where it's like you discover like your your feelings and all that stuff. So I feel like um when I go see a movie, I always want to put myself in the character shoes and be like, oh, if they go through this situation, then my situation could be less or it could be not as like bad as this person that's even if they're like fictional, but it lets you know that there's someone out there that's having the same issue too. So that's what I kind of look into film when I go to, you know, to like to a movies like like 1917, like I went to go watch it. And obviously the main thing is like the technical aspect. Hmm. But when you really dive into the characters, you realize like, damn, like these guys, like, you know, they fought in the war. And it's like, what's it like to like fight in a war and deliver a message to like a, a battalion that's going to get like, you know, ambushed or something. So that's what I really kind of go for a lot in film. You know? Have you have you looked into any of uh, Richard Linklater's filmography? Oh man, like uh, yeah, Boyhood. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what I was going to when you that, were mentioning adolescence. Yeah, like, uh, well, I mean, there's that one, um, Days and Confused, which I mean, it's it's a comedy, but still, it's about no, know, yeah, yeah, it's a um, like a buddy movie, you know. But Boyhood was it's probably like one of my top ten favorite films because the like again he shot that in like what was like. 12 years, 12 over years. the course of 12 years. And, like, every summer for, like, two weeks, they would just get together, shoot, and it would be the progression of their lives. And it was something organic, literally, you know? And a lot of people didn't really, like... Like, that's a movie that, again, it's, like, the quality... And even if it's a small-budget movie, like, the quality itself, like, has a harder impact than, like, just the money, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, but that, that, that movie's amazing. That's good shit. Well, all right. Wait, what about your movie? Because, like, we never really got to that, dude. Well, no, we'll get to it. If if we really want to get to it, we'll get to it. But I just I want to make sure you're you're making the right decision here. Like yeah. honestly, because when I when I look back on film school, yeah. like it really it really feels like a mistake yeah. in a lot of ways because the main reason I told myself that I was going to go was networking, that I was going to be able to find people who were interested in the different, you know, facets of production whether that was, you know, sound or 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 uh lighting or anything like that. Um, and when I left film school, I, I left film school with less friends than when I started. I'm not, I'm not bullshitting you. And part of it, part of it was this, you know, this, and this is, this is the moment that really crystallized how much of a waste of time it was for me. You know, it was easy to get everyone involved and excited about a project. I say excited when there was a grade attached to it, when there was an actual, uh, uh, I guess they were going to get something out of it. Yeah. But as soon as that was no longer the case, as soon as it was as it was film for film's sake, I wanted to make a movie between film three and film four. I, because the the film program, I, I, I maybe maybe I didn't check at the right times or something like that. But wait, wait, for, pause for a second. Pause for a second. I'm gonna let you finish your story. Didn't Sylvester Stallone go to MDC for film? He did. I don't know if it was for film. Was it for film? I was. I don't even think they offered film back then. All I know is when I searched Miami Day, like that's, that's, one, that's one of the yeah, <laughs> that's freaking nasty. The alumni. All right, I'm sorry. Continue. Um, <laughs> no, so I wanted to make a film between you know in the summer, right? I wasn't taking any classes at that time. I wanted to make a film in the summer, and I had this this click basically that I'd become a part of in film three, where it was me and a bunch of people. And, you know, we were all talking and, you know, they all seemed pretty excited about coming to work on the film. You know, that one of them was going to help, you know, one of them was going to be the director of photography and work on sound and, you know, assistant direct and all, all the stuff. Right. All the roles were going to be filled and it was going to be interesting because I'd never had like a full like, I guess, uh, crew like that before. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of times in this 
this really hurt a lot of my earlier films was that I, I had to wear all the hats, right? Like I, I could kind of tell some people to do certain things, but I was doing the job of like seven different people. And that means that I couldn't really focus on directing, you know, like one of the best things that ever happened to me was finding Armando, my, my director of photography. I mean, he's a light wizard, right? Like he makes incredible looking images and I can just give him the camera and it's like, I know he's going to do a fantastic job and I can focus on all this yeah, other that's shit. A load off your plate. And that's what I want to find with an assistant director. And I want to find that with a sound mixer, but you know, it's, it's tough. But anyway, the point is, is that. All of them, you know, we were in a group chat. Everyone was real excited. Uh, they started coming over. We were talking about me. We were doing meetings to see what we were going to do. And one day everyone just stops returning my phone calls. Right. And it doesn't matter how many times I call them. Like we got to a certain point where it was just like everybody dropped off the face of the earth. Only one guy, only one guy had the stones to tell me, hey, look, I'm not going to make it. I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to be a part of this. Sorry. You know, and it's like, OK, all right. That's fine. Thank you for being the only one to actually tell me, right? Because we're about to start shooting in a week and a half, and all of a sudden, everyone I was working with just decided to disappear, right? So, you know, and, you know, I, I made a lot of mistakes with that project. First and foremost, I shot with a first draft. Do not ever, no, no, never. do not ever no, shoot no. with a first draft. I have to revise, like, I mean, yes. Like, okay, <laughs> good. I'm, I'm glad that you've, you've got that. I mean, but that's the thing, though. Like, um, like, even the writing process, you could write like a, you think you write like a fantastic like story, but there's so many details that you're still missing. Oh, totally, totally, yeah. No, every time I'm, I'm working on my first draft, I think of it as a first draft of a first draft, mm. just so I can get it down on paper. So I can see the story in front of me and I can see the structure and see the sequence of events because that's really the only way that you're going to be able to start refining and figuring out, okay, does this work here? Does that work there? Is this necessary? Is that necessary? Maybe we can cut this character. And once you get to the core of understanding why all those things are happening, why all those people are doing what they're doing, then they cease to be, you know, flat text and you can really see the dimensionality of those characters. I mean, that that's really the core of writing is understanding why those characters are doing what they're doing and why this story is happening the way it is. Um, no, but okay. So to go to film school for the socialization aspect of it, especially since you've never been on a film set, that's, that's, that's a good thing, right? Cause yeah. you might be able to find people. And if you're luckier than I am, you might be able to find a team of people that you feel good about and you guys work together and all that. But like I said, Honestly, and maybe it's me, I'm willing to admit that maybe the thing, uh, maybe I'm not socialized properly or some <laughs> shit, but I, just no one wanted to be a part of anything, right? Unless it was relevant to the actual, you know, grade. And then for my final film, right? And I mean, whatever, I call, call, call it a, 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 a cruel twist of fate or whatever you want. But there was a part of the project where we had to present like a uh, like a PowerPoint of what the film was going to be like the production design, the costume design and all this stuff and who was going to be acting in it. And we had had so much trouble casting it like we I had to beg my professor for a week extension for our principal photography date because every time we got one role filled, the other actor dropped out. So and then as soon as we got that one, this guy dropped out as soon as we got her again and back and forth, back and forth until i mean like last minute we got this thing casted like 72 hours before we had to shoot it right so there's no time for rehearsal no time for you know prep work or anything like that you know and the fact that the movie came out in the f in the manner that it did at all is is kind of a small miracle but it had so many problems and one of those problems was when we had to do that presentation i was the only one there 
apparently everyone had to be there. Everyone had to be there and talk about their specific element of the production and what they were responsible for and all that. I was the only one actually doing the, the, the presentation. So this led the professor to walk me outside the class and be like, hey, why aren't you motivating your people to, to be here? Like what? Like basically blaming me for the fact that five other people weren't, you know, responding in the group chat and weren't being a part of the, pr anyway. Um, so it's just, I'm, I'm worried for you, yeah. right? Because I, I want you to have a good experience when you're making this stuff. And personally, if you ask me, I think the only way to do that is to make stuff on your own. Yeah, I mean, that and that, but that's just from my own experience. I mean, I had that, um, I had that a choice to do. I was like, I was literally not gonna go to college anymore. I just kind of looked at the art, like I'm gonna do this by my own, you know. But, um, I mean, the fact that I still live with my parents and they, you know, like, like it's just crazy because last year I had the conversation with them and I was like, hey, look, I'm, I'm gonna do this, like, you know, if you don't like it and if you think otherwise, like, I'm gonna do it, um. I literally just want to go to the film school just to get like a sense of like I guess the um, the environment, you know. Um, I'm probably gonna go there for networking because I mean that's like what I you know see if I find people. But at the end of the day, it's like maybe even like just meeting you is probably like you know it's still awesome because it's like someone that has gone through it mm -hmm. and some and someone that's already working on it. And then for me, it's like I just need that push to kind of be like okay, like. Because I mean, because like it is a structured ground, it mm. is a structured groundwork. It gives Vic no, a I framework. I totally agree with you. To I totally with. agree with you. But I, you can get that out of a textbook. Yeah. I mean, on, honest or, to God, no, when it comes to the te online the too. technical aspects of filmmaking, like what am I supposed to do? How do I arrange the the set? How do I arrange a schedule? All that stuff, you really can learn that from a book. You really don't have to go to school for that anymore. Yeah. You know, and that's that that's that's the. That's what's so nice about it is that the democratization of, I mean, your phone, right? The camera in your phone is so much better than the cameras anyone had 20 years ago, right? You really could, if you tried, you could shoot something on your phone. And if you know how to frame stuff, I mean, it, to some degree, it will look like it was shot on a phone. But in certain cases, it might not, you know, and if you if you can capture people with good characters, that might not even matter, right? I mean, I don't know if you... Do you remember the Florida Project? Oh, yeah. Okay, so the director of that, Sean Baker, he did a movie before that uh, called Tangerine. With an iPhone 5. Yeah, he shot the whole thing on iPhone 5s. And I saw the movie. And there were certain parts that looked like it was shot on a phone. But for most of the movie, you you wouldn't really be able to tell otherwise. You know, like uh, there's a lot of motion there's a, and there's a lot of emotion, which is probably the most important aspect of it, is that you had these two characters that felt like real people. You know, you had someone to latch on to. So, I mean, even if you don't have a good camera or anything like that, and I know it's cliche and I know everyone says it, but, like, just just try to shoot something, like yeah. anything, right? I, I don't know, maybe go in your backyard and shoot your dog or, or go out on the street and just, like, try to frame shots of, like, you know, maybe people walking by or something just to, like, Get a sense start getting the gears going, you know? Maybe try to find a way to tell a story with just your camera, right? Find something close by that you can try to edit something quick together, you know? Just... Just to really start getting those gears turning, because that's that's really the only way you're going to learn. And they're going to tell true. you that in film school. They're going to tell you that in film one. They're going to tell you that the very first day that like if you really want to learn how to do this, you just have to go do it. You know, they're going to tell you the exact same thing, because a lot of those people are people who tried to go into film and ended up teaching it instead, you know. And it, it's not to it's not to demean them, but like I was telling you about this a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago, you can tell depending on the professor you get that some people are pissed off that they're teaching it, 
Like some people are, are they're, they're, they harbor a grudge and they kind of don't look at you in a nice light because you're young. You've got the future ahead of you and they're, you know, pushing 50 and, you know, they didn't they wanted to make movies. They didn't want to tell other people how to make movies. So, you know, you also have to be careful with the kind of characters you surround yourself with because there are going to be certain people who might not be interested in your development as a filmmaker as much as you are, yeah. you know. I'm glad to say that most of the people I interacted with when it comes to professors weren't like that. Most of them cared about the form and cared about their students and, and did want you to succeed. But, you know, there were also other people who were like, you know, that's the thing. In film one, I was the kid, you know, I was the I was the asshole raising my hand every time there was a question asked because I knew the answer. Yeah. Right. To the point where the professor was like, hey, why don't you give someone else a shot here? And then, you know. <laughs> The rest of that semester was no one raising their hand, Just no one answering any questions or anything like that. And it's not like I had to show off how much I fucking knew or anything like that, but it, it's just, you know, I don't know. I, I had a bad experience with it. I, I wouldn't recommend it. Or if, if I was to go to film school, if I had to go, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't go to Dade. I'd probably go to FSU. Probably just so I could get that experience of I mean, that's having where, um, to be somewhere else and go somewhere. And that's where um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Um, well, them and uh, um, that Barry Jenkins. Oh yeah, Barry moonlight? Jenkins. Yeah. That's moonlight? right. Yeah, FSU. Yeah. A lot of people told me like actually to go to that school, man. Well, if you're going, for, if you want to go to school for film, and if you're really serious about it, and you want to stay in Florida, that's the place to go. That really is the place to go. Yeah. So if you do go to date and you know you you go on, go to the program and you like it, I mean, I don't know. I would I would try to find a way to get over there, but I mean maybe I mean that's easier said than I don't know. Like I'm gonna just try it, you know. Like like uh, like the least I could do is just try it and see what it is, and and then if not, just like do it on my own, you know. Because at the end of the day, it's like if that's what you know, like I love, you know, and I want to learn so much about it, it's like why not do it on your own, you know? And you have so much, like you said, there's so many resources that we have, like. You know, you you go on the computer, you go on Google, you could type up anything. Dude, honestly, yeah. Film Riot, the YouTube channel Film Riot, that has to be one of the best repositories of information of how to make a movie with no money whatsoever. Because they, I mean, in a lot of times, I mean, they break it down step by step of like certain processes that you can do in Adobe Premiere or anything like that. But even on-set stuff, and they show you how to build lights and build stuff and like DIY stuff. So, I mean, if you really want to start doing stuff on your own, I mean, that... That was that was basically my film school, film film riot, and a book I have on my shelf called Thirty Dollar Film School. It was a book I bought in in middle school. I I got my grandmother to give me thirty dollars in sixth grade so I could buy that book, and it basically gives you a complete rundown of like from script to screen, like is this how do light, you make a movie. Is this light DIY? Of course, it's a cake pan. It's a cake pan and a dish pan, like glued together with a hole cut out of it those i mean all of that the wiring uh, well I, it wasn't that i did it myself my stepdad helped me do it yeah but the wiring is custom the t-joints all that and i've been using this light since 2014 and it still works just like the day i bought it so or not bought it i built it you so. built it yeah yeah 30 dollars um, film school 30 dollars film school well i didn't get it out of that this this was a tutorial i think on indie mogul but um but that's exactly what i'm saying is that you don't really have to go to school anymore you don't have to no one's no one's holding the keys anymore, right? Yeah. There was there was a time in film where like only a certain few people got to do it, right? Yeah. But now and like Anyone again, can. I don't like phone cameras. I hate the way they look, right? But the fact that everyone has, I mean, a 4K camera in their pocket, right, at any one time, like anyone can make a movie. And the price of that 
is that now there are too many movies. <laughs> there, but for real, there's a lot of people. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of people who have access to this technology. And while it's great that everyone can explore, that means that there's so much more shit. It can actually be harder to find the good shit. I'm sure you've seen this on Netflix, right? Where you're scrolling for longer than you're ever actually watching a movie. Yeah. You know, and in, in some cases, that kind of demeans the value of the film because it's not like. You have to go and see the movie and you have to engage with the film because you're there in the theater or you're like intellectually like trying to, you know, like you were thinking about the film. Like it's just sort of it's almost like a meal. Like you yeah. can just sort of like have it and OK, tonight we're, it's this tonight. It's that and you're not even thinking about it. You're not even really retaining it or anything like that. Like a lot of times the way I see a lot of people engaging with film now and it's a horror film for me to see this happen. But it's like people will have something on on Netflix, but they're actually just scrolling through Facebook. And it's like, pick one. <laughs> God, I can't stand it. I really can't, especially in the theater. If you pull out a phone in the theater, I have no, I, there, no mercy, no that's mercy like, for you. That's, I, like I, a, that's like a disrespect right there. Just it is those. disrespectful, in at least in the theater context. If you're at home and that's how you want to engage with a film, hey, you know what? It's your life. You do whatever you want. If you want to watch shit with motion smoothing on, you can go live in that fucking hell. I What's don't care. motion smoothing? It, the, you know how like the soap opera effect when you buy a new TV and everything looks like smooth and like it's because they turn on motion smoothing by default. Actually, a bunch of filmmakers this year got together to try to come up with uh, with like a with like a the anti motion smoothing like film mode or something and try to make that like standard on TVs because it's been such a big deal that people are watching these movies and they're not watching them at the, a proper frame rate and they're not getting the proper presentation. Anyway, that's motion that's smoothing. a that's a technical motion detail. Um, no, but especially in the theater, like if you pull out a phone, like I will get up in the middle of the movie and I'll say you're going to turn that off right now, okay. And a lot of times it works because people don't want to be don't want to deal with the embarrassment because they know that's the thing is that people know when they go to a theater they're not supposed to have these fucking things on yeah you know and it that they're ruining they're right everyone else home too. they tell you all the time please turn off your phone please don't ruin the movie for others right everyone is here and when your phone when you're in one of the lower rows and your phone is on it's drawing yeah. attention to this big white glaring light at the bottom of this anyway. Um, don't use your phone in the theater. Don't use your phone. Quite frankly, if there's any if there's any crime against humanity that deserves no judge, no jury, straight to executions, people use their fucking phones in theaters. Fuck those people. Um, anyway, where 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 did that spring from? Um, good question. I don't really know where. I think it's about something about. Oh, okay. I, I you, you mentioned this earlier, but I I, I didn't hear it. Uh, the, when when did you say you start? Uh, summer. You're starting in the summer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what are you what are you starting with? Like just film one and probably, yeah, probably the basic. I still have to look into it. Um, but because uh, right now I just been like working so much. But you already got accepted and all that. Yeah, I already got accepted. So when do you pick your classes? Uh, probably like when the like. Oh, when the thing opens, like in April, when May. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, like I, I mean, I was trying to get one right now, but it's a mini term. But like I can't, because they're all closed already. But um, I don't know. Like I told you, I mean, I'm like, like I'm just give it a shot. You know? Yeah, no, it's totally worth a shot. I don't. I'm not here to like tell you how to live your life or anything like that. No. I'm just saying, in my own experience, film there are film school, especially from Dade. I don't know. That just sets off alarm bells in the back of my. Like when you told me that you were gonna do that, my first thought was like, oh shit, I gotta talk this guy out of this because <laughs> this sounds like a bad play. No, but that's good. You see, like, like I like that because like, 
um, kind of like either society or like even your parents tell you like, oh, you have to go to school because school is like you know the thing. The yeah, thing. school and is the thing. And it's like you don't really have to go to school for certain amount of things, you know. Yeah. Like it, and I think slowly society is starting to realize that yeah. that the value of a college degree isn't really worth it. Well, especially when you have like people with degrees in various fields who are basically having to take those degrees and take that as to a job at Starbucks or take that yeah. to a job at Old Navy or something like that where they're not even working in their field because now it's just it's it's so even it's even that's hyper competitive you know and it I don't know no, but like but that's funny though because like um, um like people always say that art is competitive and stuff and um, that you're not fully guaranteed a job but you can literally be a really good, uh, you know, like nurse, like nurse in like school. Mm-hmm. You know, be like like you're studying for, you know, for nursing, and you might be super good at it. But once you graduate, like if you can't find a job, that's that's, that's not it. even you guaranteed. You can't apply it. You can't apply it. Yeah. So it's like it works both ways. But just because one makes greater money and the other one makes you start off like basically like zero, doesn't mean that w- the one with zero could actually be the one that you know you could. Uh, I got true. You know, like. It could be better. It's just not, there's no like formal system of pay because it's based on what you create, what yeah. you pump out. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that you, if you're getting into the arts, right, you have to find a way to, to feel, you have to define your success by a different metric. Uh, that's, that's what I found is that like, if you try to def- define your success in your art form, whether in my case it being film, by conventional standards of success, whether that means, you know, subscriber numbers or like people buying your stuff or like some certain amount of money coming in, you're you're going to hit a wall really, really fast and it's going to hurt and it's going to suck. Right. You just you have to find a way to 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 be invested in what you're doing, but also understand the reality of, of what you're doing. Right. Like I'm going to be making this movie this year. But, like, I'm not kidding myself thinking that it's going to play in every theater and kidding myself that, like, Netflix is going to buy it and all this shit. Like, the the general, not general, what's probably going to happen is that I'm going to make this movie and not a whole lot of people are going to see it, right? It's probably not going to get into many of the film festivals that I'm going to submit it to. It's probably not even, even if I put it on YouTube, it'll probably get maybe 100 views if I'm lucky, right? Like, if I'm if I'm depending on this movie to put food on my table or anything like that, I'm going to starve to death, right? But that's just that's just the thing, right? No one knows who I am. No one knows what my brand is. I don't, I don't even know what my brand is to some extent, you know? Like you have to develop those things on your own. And once you develop those things on your own and you develop your own sense of identity when it comes to what you're actually working on, then you can start to try to make that work for I guess I guess try to work in the in in the conventional aspect, right? Because Dude, there's no cavalry. No, there's no, there's no like legions of thousands of fans just waiting for you, you know, and you just have to open the right door. You have to work on it and work on it and work on it. And a lot of times, especially if you're working for something, I mean, I, I did this for years, right? Where I was like only working because I, I was trying to generate subscribers on YouTube so that like I'd have a big enough audience so that I could make this movie. Like I was looking at it like a stepping stone sort of thing where I was like, okay, I want to make this movie, but in order to make this movie, I need this amount of money. And if I want this amount of money, then I'm going to need to ask for it on Kickstarter. And the only way I'm going to be able to ask for it on Kickstarter is if I have a certain amount of people who are willing to donate. And the only way I'm going to get those people is if I have these people on YouTube. So, you know, I'm going to start making YouTube content and making stuff for them. And dude, it was just years and years of like three views, four views, three views on like 
video after video after video after video after video, you know, and sometimes you get lucky and something gets to, you know, 30 views. Right. Yeah. And if it's if it's like if God has decided to smile down upon you today, you've got 300 views on something, you know. And even if you have AdSense on back in those days, you could actually have AdSense. You didn't have to have a certain threshold. Like if you don't have a thousand subscribers, you can't even get ad revenue anymore on YouTube. Really? Like they actually took away our AdSense because we're not at a thousand subscribers yet. Exactly. So and even if you were trying how much to. Are, how much are we, are we away from our first paycheck? Uh well, well mean, they just wiped us out. Well, that, exactly. We don't even have anyone, right? We have so to start from zero again. Well, no, we're starting from six hundred and sixty something. Well, right? well, I mean, wasn't there like a certain amount of money you had? A hundred dollars. They don't cut you a check until you get to your. Yeah, first but how 100. much did you have before that? Well, so my first YouTube channel, I tried to game the system by clicking on my I own ads. That. I don't do that. that. <laughs> clicking, on and e clicking on my own ads. So I would sign out and then basically sign in as other people or or be like you know regular like a. Uh, you know, just like not signed in at all. And I would watch my videos and I click on my ads because that's how you generate money. Right. <laughs> so I would do that. I did that for like six hours and I made $20. And then once I made $20, they found out what I was doing. And they were like, yeah, we're cutting you off immediately. Oh my God. So then we started another channel. And then on that channel, we did it organically. And I have to be honest with you, like, even though we had a few videos that did, you know, 10,000 views or 15,000 views or anything like that, it what like $36. I mean, across if you a right now on my YouTube channel, across the videos that are actually up there, it's like 40,000 views right across the, the videos that are actually up there. All of TCR is on private. So that doesn't count for that either. Right. And those views typically generated around like 35 views per video. So now those went up um, five times a week. So 35 times five, what, three, six, nine, 12, 15. Okay, so you're looking at like maybe 180 views per week, 155 episodes. Anyway, point is, is that in all those tens of thousands of views, you know, $36, right? You're, you're not, you're not going to make anything off of that, you know? So you just have to make sure you're getting into it for the right reason, you know? And as long as you're, 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 you're honest with yourself. I don't want to say pure of heart because we're not here to determine who's pure and who's, you know, virtuous and all that shit. But like, as long as you're honest with yourself about what it is you want to do and you don't lose sight of that, I, 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 I think you'll be fine, you know, because the rest of it is just improv. You just have to figure it out. You know, you have to you have to be OK with there being an incredible amount of unknown in front of you. You have to be OK with taking big risks and willing to spend hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars on something that like, you know, yeah, maybe it won't make any money back, but like it's an investment. I have future. to, that's the thing I was telling him about this the other day. And I, I had this thought recently that I, I feel really confident about this idea that I've been working on recently. And it's a strange feeling. Like it's an alien feeling to like have a level of, of confidence about an idea like this because a lot of times before I was I was making stuff and I was like just totally joyless about it like mm -hmm. totally like like it was hating forced it there, right? and like it felt forced it to some forced. extent like I had to do this you know and like I love film I love the medium and like you know a lot of I, I the expression is like you 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 the making the movie is the price or no no what was it uh the price of getting to the editing bay is making the movie because I love editing like mm -hmm. editing is one of my favorite parts of the process like writing directing editing that's that's the shit right um i'm sorry i lost my train of thought uh writing directing editing editing is your favorite 
Right, right, right. Shit. Okay, so I did I did all these movies for so long, and I would get to the set, and I'd make these films, and I would see what I would turn out, and I would hate it. I mean, I would, like, viscerally, with, with every fiber of my being, hate the shit that I was working on, and it was terrible. It was terrible, right? The scripts and all that, just this, this total demeaning quality to it where I just, I never gave myself any credit, you know? And in the last year is the first time that I've really felt good about this shit. And it takes a long, long, long time before you get to that place. I remember reading about that, like, I want to say in 2014, it was Ira Glass mentioned something. I think it was like the quality gap or the quality bridge or something where like your tastes are at a certain level and your skills are not at the same level. So because of that, there's like this divide and you feel bad about your own shit because it's not up to that same caliber of the stuff that you like to go see. But working on this stuff is about slowly raising that just little by little by little so that they're on the same level. And once they're there, it's, it's, it's really satisfying. And this idea specifically is the first time that I've ever felt a personal responsibility to an idea like, well, you know what you're talking about when you're saying that there's someone out there that this story can connect with them and it won't, what they're going through won't be as difficult, right? Because they can see that that they're not alone. That's what I feel with this, right. you know? It's yeah. the first time I've ever felt that with anything I've ever made. And it's it's insane. It's insane how inspiring that is. And it's also a little terrifying that I feel this confident. <laughs> like, I don't know, but is it because you're making a, like a personal, like something that you want to make basically like a personal film? Well, the thing is that I wanted to make all those other movies too, right? They were ideas I had. It's not like my mom was telling me, like, go make movies, you know? Like, (laughs) like I wanted to do these things. It was my idea. They were my scripts. They were my stories, you know? But, like, and I I have to credit my ex-girlfriend for this because she really made me see this. I remember I gave her the script for the last film I did. It was V451. And I gave her the script, and the, the premise of that movie is about an android who downloads an update that de- like basically allows her to uh, develop human emotion, right? So it's about a, a, a robot learning what it's like to feel human emotions. Did you based off of a uh, um, ex machina? No, it, that wasn't intentional. Oh, oh, no, that, that wasn't design. intentional. Um, no, because this was supposed to be a little more like like sappier, sort of like after school special kind yeah. of like the relationship between the father figure and the daughter figure of the robot. You know, ex machina is a little more like. Uh, I don't want to say dramatic, but it's it's a little more out of the ordinary. Almost. I guess out of the ordinary. I want to say Fincherian, like like it, it has the like a Fincher quality where yeah. there's like a cold, calculated, like almost like uh, like scary quality to it. Mm-hmm. You know that this thing's developing uh, mentality to it. I, my I wanted my story to feel warmer than than that. Um, but anyway, I gave her I gave her the script the fir- and that wasn't the first draft. I think it was the second or the third draft. Um, and I remember her telling me, and I remember telling her like, Hey, like, don't, you know, I know I'm your boyfriend and all this, but like, don't be afraid to rip into me. Like I want constructive criticism. I want your honest opinion. And what she told me was that she couldn't feel anything. She didn't, she didn't feel any humanity in the story at all. And I've, I've given my scripts to people. They've ripped into them. I've gotten people who've shit all over them. It's never affected me the way that what she said affected me. I I started crying. I broke down into tears. And what that started was a two-year journey of like 
trying to understand why I'm writing. Like, why is it that I feel that I have to tell these stories? And why is it that I feel that this is what I'm supposed to be doing? Because there are so many other things I could be doing, right? I could, I could be a doctor, I could be a lawyer, it could be anything, right? Mm -hmm. I, whatever, right? And maybe, maybe that's wishful thinking to say those two things. Yeah. But I could be literally anything in this world. There's so many things you could be. Why did I choose film? Why did I choose to write film? And, you know, I had to go through, like, at least, like, three or four different ideas, fully developed scripts, you know. I got to a place where I developed two two different scripts to the point where it was pretty much shovel-ready to start casting. And it was like, yeah, no, we can't with these, right? Either the money's not there or this is just a little too out of scope or anything like that. And that's, I mean, that's months of prep work. I mean, months of, like, trying to figure out locations and trying to figure out where you might shoot something and, and how you're going to shoot it and, like, how you're going to shoot it in this tight little box. And um, But anyway, I had to go through that to get to this idea. And this, you know, like, and that's the thing. I think about parts of this idea, and it's, like, a little, it's, it's going to be a little weird. And I don't know if a lot of people are going to, like, really latch on to it you know and i there there are certain parts of it where i could see people even getting mad about it to some degree but like it's it it feels i don't know there's there's truth to it you i know? mean like mm -hmm. i can i can feel i i can feel the humanity in it you I know mean, i can feel it but that's why you do films all the time i mean it's like you want to tell something like a part of you yeah you know? and you can't be afraid to tell some like the truth you always yeah. have to you know like you have to you know like you said, you have to take that big risk, and it's just like with anything, with 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 music too. You know, with music, it's like you have to. You're, you know, you see like Juice World, for example. It's like, or like Mac Miller. You know, like these guys were writing lyrics about like, you know, substance abuse, and it's like, you would think like, why would they put that? You know, that'd be something. You know, they have to put this superficial face, like, oh, like everything's all right, mm -hmm. but it's really not. You know, they have to deal with all the pressure. So I feel like, with storytelling and movies, especially, it's important because. Um, it's a personal film and it's something that you're telling and it's going to be something that you want the audience to to feel too, you know? Yeah. And when it feels organic, that's... I think when you feel something true and organic, um, that's when you know it's a good film. And no matter what people say, if it might be bad or they can't relate as to it... As long as you get that feeling. As long as you get that feeling and you're telling the truth and you know why you're telling the story, that's all that matters. Yeah, uh, that, well, that's the thing, right? Is that like I know that now, but it took me, what I, I guess my first like film working with other people was 2012, right? So that was eight years ago. So it took me eight years to figure that so out. To figure out, but that but that's the amazing thing where it's like, um, and it's all experience. Like you know, last year to me is the same concept. You know, it's like I knew what I wanted to do, but. I was trying to be this guy who wanted to please people. So it's like the same aspect, you know, it's like you, you have to find yourself and you have to go through these even bad experiences sometimes to really be like, okay, like I have to be myself. Yeah. You can't like, like just because you have like all these, like all the like, cast and crew, like you're not going to be like, all right, I'm going to do it for you mm -hmm. or because like you don't feel the vibe yeah. that I'm feeling. So like, I'm not going to put this in the film mm -hmm. and that's almost, you're fighting, you know, like really like against yourself all the time. Because when, you're, because when you're trying to please people a lot, it's just kind of like saying like, oh, like... You're not putting yourself first no matter what. Exactly. And you're always trying to s put other people's values <laughs> instead of what you want to do. Instead of your own values, their mm -hmm. belief system, their whatever, instead of what you want to do. And Sly, you sneaky bastard. Oh, gee, here comes the big tank. Here comes the big tank. Out, out, out. 
What do you mean out? You haven't <laughs> played with me in two hours. What do you mean out? The Great Wall of Amazon's breaking down. Oh no, reinforcements! <laughs> I think, no, I think that's worse. Yeah! Dude, you should have gone to school for engineering, dude. <laughs> How to build a better dog hey, wall. But, that, hey, but even that, you see, like, engineering is like in film. Dude, look, I'm going to show you this uh, Sergio watch. Like, I literally wrote this last year. Um, but it was like, did you ever feel like you were doing that, Sergio, in your films, people pleasing or anything? You ever, like, dove oh, into people pleasing? Diamond Sky. Diamond Sky was a people pleaser. Why? The whole film. Why? Well, because I had written that script and I wrote it. I remember writing it from such a place of, of anger. Mm -hmm. I wrote that last year. I, wrote, I started writing and I was in FIU. Um, I started, I think it was like April, right? It says it right there, the date? Um, Should say it there. It was like, yeah, like. I don't see a date, like, but. Yeah. No, that's so. This is like a short story, or what is this? It's well, I mean, I still have to write like a bunch of it though, because it, it's it's literally um that story is um oh it says March nineteenth here yeah March nineteenth so that was um after I literally wrote it right after I graduated high school like I like that's where I start the story but I wrote it last year I started to begin because again I had that coworker that was just like hey you know just write your thoughts because he's into music. So mm -hmm. he was writing thoughts and like lyrics, like you know, when he would think of something. And the thing is to feel it in the moment, like yeah, when you're writing and you have that feeling that you're like, okay, like you have to put it down on pen. Like, I have to put it down on paper immediately. Yeah, like, but you really, you really do have to feel whatever it is you're trying to describe. Yeah. Like I, no, yeah, because you're an emotional, you're an emotional curator. Like you said, you're an emotional. You are, like, like the Sophie Brothers and uh, Uncut Gems. That movie is a freaking textbook on how to make people feel something during a movie. Mm -hmm. And, and, and anxiety is what that movie is, a big ball yeah, of anxiety. Yeah, it's not a movie for everyone. You know? That ball, some movie is a big ball of anxiety. But you are an emotional curator. You're deciding what emotions you're going to make these people feel. Exactly. Or you're trying to make these people feel. So that's just like... So you have to immerse yourself in those. You have to you immerse know? yourself and you have to become no, the last script i wrote the last script i wrote was 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 one of the first times that i really that was one of the things i wasn't doing with my scripts was immersing myself in yeah. the emotion i was trying to 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 You're describe just like, and oh explain. that sounds good right so with this last <laughs> one with with uh, the script i wrote about cuba dude i'm sitting in a starbucks and i'm writing i'm writing this death scene and i'm crying i'm like yeah. bawling people are staring people are uncomfortable but it's like I don't give a shit. This is the most connected I've ever yeah. felt to these characters. They feel like real people. Big spoiler. Huh? Big spoiler. Yeah, I guess people, yes, people <laughs> died in communist Cuba. Yes, that, that big spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but no, you, 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 really, you really do have to immerse. Well, yeah, but dude, even if, if I ever get to make that movie, I'm not going to get to make it for 10 years. So unless someone bookmarks this podcast right here, right now, <laughs> I didn't even mention who died, by the way. Plenty of people die. I mean, Anyway, whatever. People die every day. Uh, yeah, you know, you do really have to immerse yourself in the in in the feeling of these things, and that's that's what I'm trying to do yeah. with with this story. And you know, now now the challenge is going to be to find people who who can immerse themselves in uh, in the emotion as well. well you like know? Yeah, because I mean, like at the end, like you know, you're the director, and you're the writer, and you and you, and you have this vision. You have to just project it on the actors yeah the, yeah and that's a hard thing too because again you have to cast the right people you have to and they have to be on board with like okay i'm gonna express this emotion in front of a camera mm -hmm. so even if it's like five people 
You know, like you you have to make sure that the emotion is right. You know, and yeah, it, but and, and I didn't precise. even learn that till recently, right? Like to go back to what you were asking about Diamond Sky, right? Like that that was a movie to please other people because I I had given that script to a bunch of a bunch of friends and they'd all read it and they were like, oh my god, this is so good, this is so good. It was like a horror movie, right? It was yeah, about this this girl. I remember. She well, I mean, has he seen the movie? Oh no. Yeah. So it was about this girl who uh, uh, her friend her her friend's arcade is closing down. And he has an arcade cabinet from a game she used to play while she was a kid. And the friend is like, hey, you can take it home. And lets her take the game home. She plays the game. And it turns out that, like, the game, like, inspires these, like, hallucinations. And it turns into a horror film from then on out where she's, like, dealing with these things about her past and, and all that. So a lot of people really like that script. That script came from a really, really negative, angry place where I, I wrote that script after... I had failed to cast my second film. We made Galley and I made Shadow Valley, and then we were going to cast the split, which was the sequel to Shadow Valley. It was a story about the the cop at the end of it, Alan Drake. And you know, we had pitched it to like the drama club, and all the kids there were like super excited. They all wanted to be a part of it. They were like, "Okay, we're going to go to your auditions and all this." Yeah. And like, we did auditions for four straight Saturdays, and I want to say three people showed up, and two of them were friends of ours. You know, like who did it as a favor, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think the I think the third one was Miguel, actually, (laughs) who was already there, who was there for all four, all four sessions. So I remember just feeling super disillusioned about like wanting to make anything at all, you know, like Mm -hmm. just like why even bother or anything like that. And I wrote it. I wrote it in that that place of like, why does why did nobody care? Why did they lie to me? All, All that shit. And it was a really negative, really dark piece. And it because of that, I wrote it and I was like. You know, I don't I'm, I don't feel good about this. You know, like it's not a good feeling to go back and read this. And, you know, but like Caitlin got a hold of it and then some friends got a hold of it. And they were like, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. And I, it got to a point where like everyone's like, when are you going to make that? When are you going to make that? I'm like, fine, I'll fucking make it already. And I ended up I ended up making it. And that was that was the first film. That was truly my first film because I had a I had a partner that I made films with. Um, when I first started out, we made a couple films together and then we ended up splitting up and Diamond Sky really was the first time that I made a movie on my own. But in directing that movie, dude, I had no idea what I was asking these people to do. Like, I mean, I really had no idea of what it was emotionally that I was trying to get at. You know, it was more about like, okay, so this is what's happening and you're going to go over here. But like, if you ask me like why a character was doing this this way or why this was happening, that that was what well, that was the furthest thing from my mind. There was no mm-hmm. answer to that question because it was just this is what the script was, you know. And I think that was a big problem with a lot of those early films that I didn't really understand the emotionality of it. You know, they were they were movies that were like masquerading as as movies, you know, mm-hmm. or, or they weren't even movies. You know, I mean, really, because they didn't have any any heart, any soul or, or anything to them. They were just like, I'd seen so many movies. I know what a movie looked looks like. like. So we're going to, we're like. going to find a way to make a, make a, you know, something that looks and sounds like a movie, but they're not, it's, you're not connecting with it on, on, on an emotional level, you know, like really the best. I, I remember, I remember Miguel telling me that the best thing I'd ever written was Bantha burgers. And I remember feeling really bad about that. And I told oh him because it's God. like, well, yeah, because okay. that's a ripoff from the Pulp Fiction because scene. The script is literally Pulp Fiction, right? It's Tarantino's <laughs> script with like Mad Lib Star Wars. Like I didn't write it, you know? So uh, to say I wrote it would be, you know, yeah, that's a gross exaggeration. So anyway, um, 
the Corellian so yeah, in a, galaxies. In a lot of ways, it it feels like it, it feels like I'm I'm like starting over, you know. And there's that's like good. there's like an excitement to that. And that's, that's good because you're fi- like again, you found what you want. Yeah. You know? But what's the new film that you're that you're, that you're doing? Okay, so man, I, especially now we're doing this on on camera. Uh, yeah, no, I got e Hollywood exclusive. Okay, baby. so it's it's uh it's uh it's a take on the lovers on the run genre, right? So it's about a girl. She's you know like freshly dumped. She's like a serial monogamist. You know, she's not. She hasn't been single longer than three weeks since the seventh grade, right? And uh, she meets this guy, and um. And and forgive how sparse I'm being with the details. I'm in the middle of a redraft. It's like a page one rewrite. I'm completely restructuring how the story is and, and you know, what the characters' motivations are. But um, she meets this guy, and you know they sort of hit it off. Uh, they 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 hit it off, but it turns out that the you know actually you know, I'm just gonna go into the scene. So this guy breaks into her house, right? And she manages to get the drop on him, hit, clubs him over the head, ties him to a chair. They're talking and, you know, the guy has this like charm to him, right? Like he's like sort of like a like a Ryan Gosling or or Robert Pattinson type where it's just sort of like this like old Hollywood like uh, he just has this bravado about him. Get off of there. Off. 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 Sorry, man. Playing around. Get off. <laughs> She just wants to hear what the plot is, man. Plot doesn't listen. She's trying to hear the plot. Uh, anyway, um. Where was I? You were. He's right, like a so Ryan Gosling, old Or he breaks into her house, rather. They're talking, you know, and uh, eventually she lets him go. He leaves a calling card, and she's. Something happens. I haven't quite figured out what exactly, but something happens where she feels compelled to like reach out to the guy because she hasn't been alone and on her own for, you know, an extended period of time. She she hasn't she hasn't developed the tool set to be able to deal with her emotions on her own for so long. She's always had someone that she could call. She always had a boyfriend that she was next to someone she could text or anything like that. So, you know, it's one of those dark nights of the soul where she ends up calling him despite her better judgment. She gets involved with the guy and then they start breaking into houses together. And it's really exciting and it's really fun. And it's like, you know, they're like connecting and they're like having sex in strangers houses. And it's like all this, you know, like true romance kind of thing. And uh, and then they break into the wrong house and they catch the attention of a local gangster. And then they're forced to go on the run. Now, it's not technically a lovers on the run story because they go on the run into hiding because it would be really expensive to have them go across country and all this shit like it so they spend a good half the movie takes place in the safe house right um so it's sort of like a twist on the lovers on the run genre because they're not really on the run you know literally um but then it's basically about you know them trying to trying to stay out of the crosshairs of this guy but then it's about the cabin fever that develops between her and this guy getting involved with this guy that she really had no business getting involved with, you know, getting involved with someone in like, you know, I don't, I don't know if you've ever moved in with a girlfriend or anything like that. But like when you move in with a girl and like you guys are in each other's space all the time, 24 hours a day, sometimes like for extended periods of time, 
you start to see what a person is really like. Well, of course, you see. And, and yeah. there's, you know, all the walls come down, all the facades and the masks you put on come down, and you're left with who the person actually is and if you guys actually can connect. And these two people cannot connect. They, they, it, and it, it really pushes, it, it pushes her down into this, this, this deep, dark pit that she has to find a way out of. And, and emotionally, it's, it's a story about, like I said, a girl who doesn't know how to deal with her own emotions and she gets herself put into a, in a position because she needs that, that, that emotional validation of, of, of someone else that, you know, that she, that she feels like she's made a mistake. She's, she's gotten involved with this guy and they're breaking the law and all this stuff. And, and it's about her learning that that validation has to come from within, that she has to be the generator of her own emotional well-being yeah. if she wants to be able to go on, mm -hmm. you know? Um, anyway, yeah, I guess that's, that's fundamentally what the movie's about, it, emotionally speaking. Um, <laughs> I'm actually going to need some water, too. I put coasters up there so you guys didn't have to lean down to oh, get your water, but... Oh, wow. Anyway. Well, I mean, your cup's empty, so it doesn't even matter at this point. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that. That's where we're at. And one of the things that, that actually that I was talking to some some friends about, because I don't I don't know how this idea is going to work yet, it's, it's the fact that these two meet because he broke into her house, right? How is she just going to get over that? Right. That's exactly what I'm thinking, because it's like, okay... Any rational, sane person would immediately call the cops and have this person arrested, right? This person. What what has to happen to a person? How emotionally desperate does someone have to be to get involved with someone who invaded their personal space? Because again, you know, the protagonist of this film is a woman, right? I I like there there are certain ways that that women look at you know uh, uh, being with a strange man or anything like that that we're just not going to understand, right? Because like. You're you're with a girl. Chances are she probably can't kill you, right? I mean, she could poison you. Maybe she could stab you. But yeah. like, if you got in a physical altercation with someone, you, especially if she was like, you know, this dainty girl, you could probably defend yourself. It's usually not the other case when it's the other way around, right? Like, you go on a date with some guy, and it's totally possible that he could drug you and rape you and kill you, right? Like, that's the chance you're taking, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if this girl's living on her own and this strange man breaks into her house, right? I'm like asking, I'm asking these women, like if, if you saw this in a movie, would you even be able to accept that? Would you be able to suspend your disbelief in thinking that like, why, like this is ridiculous. No, no person would allow would themselves that. to do this. Right. But part of it is finding the best way to describe on screen, not necessarily describe, but show on screen that some, that what would make someone make a decision like that? Mm -hmm. to to n willfully ignore how do you the red flag and how do you cultivate that that's on that's screen. the point i'm trying to get to is that I she mean, she willfully engaged in a relationship where she knew there were red flags from the could, from the second she met him you could you know? play into the absurd the absurdity like card i think of it that's the way i imagine it now where you just go so absurd that it just catches your eyes kind of like you know how magical realism that type of like literature it's just the absurd just it's so absurd that it becomes real I mean, I'm not sure how it would translate mm -hmm. over to like to a visual medium, but that's just the way I could think of it right now. That it's so absurd that just works. That's just okay. But it also depends like how you're shooting. There's if you're gonna go with that absurd well, angle, the, then there the has to be a lot of more absurd other stuff 
that's the fall of the film. It can't just have one scene of absurdity. And the real like, core is that the the burglar has to be like super charming. Like he has yeah. to, he has to be like, I mean, yeah. like charming he, and well written and like he has to be like a like a Brian Gosling. Yeah, kind of exactly. He has to be a right? good looking. He has to be like that, and that's going to be a challenge to try to find someone like that. But that that scene, the way it is, I mean, I I haven't again since I'm in this new new draft. I'm still figuring out how exactly what the rhythm of that that, yeah, that conversation scene is, is going to be. But like that that scene really speaks to me, you know, and that that feels like sort of this weird thing that you'd only see in a movie, you know, and that's that that I mean that. And that's what I kind of mean by the absurdity of it. That's mm-hmm. stuff you'd only see in a movie. Well, because someone I was talking to kind of mentioned that like Tangled, you know, as 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 weird of a comparison as they may be, has a similar sort yeah. of setup where, you know, Flynn is just some random guy. Right. Like she even has him tied up to which ch- like I'm wondering if subconsciously maybe I might have like written it because I've seen the movie before. But she has Flynn Rider tied up to a chair in her in her tower. Right. Mm-hmm. But the difference between this movie and that movie is that Tangled. You know, she's locked up in this tower. She has no way of getting herself out of there. This guy can take her to the Festival of Lights. So they have a, a mutually beneficial reason festival to want to go because he wants to get out of there and she wants to go see the festival of the of the lanterns that, oh, they, that they launch okay. every yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's why they go on this journey together. My character doesn't have that right now. Her only desire really is to end being single. Yeah. And and what I've what I've come I feel like what I've come up with is is a good enough sort of motivator um it's weird it's it's it, it has to do, do the the thing i uploaded on snapchat uh, where i said i'm working with brad today the the thing i had superimposed over my face yeah so it didn't look right but it's sort of the first steps of trying to do face replacement because i want to try to get two people on screen with the same face at the same time and that's all i want to say about that because like I don't want anyone to know about what this element of the story is. And I'm going to talk to more people. And, and maybe in talking to more people, I might have to... That might be the core element that makes people want to go see it. But I don't want to get into it just yet. Um, okay. But anyway, I, I, I think that that might be a good way of explaining why why someone would be in a position mentally to to make a decision like that. you know. And we'll see if it actually works. This could be a total flaming disaster, you know, but that's that's the risk you take. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of artistic risk when you, but I mean, when you it, do this thing. It, but if you are feeling that and you feel good about it, I feel like you should go with it. That's the thing, right, is that I feel like, good like, about like, it. Like, I feel good about it. Like and uh, Obviously, it's going to take a while for you to, like, get it, like, get it done, like, get the whole, because that's just one scene, right? You haven't really thought about other scenes. Oh, no, no, no. I have a full finished draft of the script. This is I'm working on the second draft. So right now what I'm doing is that I have I have a finished draft. So I know the story from back to front. I know all the characters involved and all that. But I'm basically doing a page one rewrite where, you know, the structure works mostly. Right. Like the way the first half and the second half are structured, those, you know, those parts work and where certain scenes are placed worked, but the actual content of the scenes needs serious adjustment, right? And then especially if I have them meeting with this guy breaking into our apartment, then that completely changes like half of the first half because the first half, in this first version of the script, she she doesn't find out that he's a burglar until she asks to go to his apartment and then they go to an apartment and then she finds out that they've actually just broken, broken into, into someone's, someone's apartment. Yeah. And then it's like kind of exciting and, and all that. But they're like, OK, we can never do that again. 
And then they try to go on a regular date and it's like, okay, yeah, no, I, I want to go do this again because she likes the adrenaline rush and then they do it more and more. In this version, right, she knows from the get-go that this guy's a burglar, right? So that completely changes the conversation yeah. they have at the bar later. That completely changes the conversation at the apartment. That completely changes the conversation at the second house they break into. So like, like I said, the sequence of events, like where they are, that makes sense. And, and I can get an idea of where that is. But in terms of what the actual content is, that, that has to be completely rewritten right now. And that's, that's where I'm at, you know. And I have this idea that completely, you know, I have this idea for the, the, the final confrontation that's like really exciting and, and like, you know, would be like just like pure like cinema, like lovers on the run, like like car chases and shootouts. And I should have silenced my phone. And uh, I hate people but the who don't silence their phone. The, the problem podcasts. is uh, <laughs> the problem is that that's going to be I don't know how I'm going to film it. I, I, I really don't know how I'm I'm gonna film it. It's an idea. I'm gonna film most of it, like the bar scene. Well, and here's all the that. thing, right? Are it's, we making well, okay, a bar? Okay, so the no, 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 no. That would no, be no. super cool. No, so um, no. My plan is to go to locations and like ask them and like see what what kind of deal we can work out or or, or something. You know, I mean, the worst anyone can or say is no. Duffies, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Bruce. no, that that's on my list, right? If if my yeah. other, if my other locations say no, I'm going to go to as many bars as I can and and see if anyone will let us shoot there. And if no one lets us shoot there. Then we'll have to figure it out. Maybe the scene doesn't take place at a bar. Maybe it takes place at a local restaurant, or maybe it takes place at a park. Or wouldn't that be something, just, Victor? What we go to brews and our faces are plastered because <laughs> we, we're involved because we know the guy who made a movie at Brews Room. Well, that was kind of how I got Arcade Odyssey to to even get on board, right? I just asked. I mean, you'd be you su- serious? You'd be surprised how many how many people just because, like, I don't. I hate when I say it like this because it makes it sound like I'm saying people are simple or some shit. But like there's a certain mystique to like making a movie that Not like people just love. normal people are like, oh, my God, that's so exciting. Right. Like and it is. It really is like it. it there is a, an that's energy friends, to a film set. That's why I'm friends with Sergio. That doesn't exist anywhere. But you've been on my sets. You've been on my sets and you know that there is an energy on a film set that just doesn't exist that's very anywhere true. else. It's like very it's, true. It's magical. It's it is. It's, it's movie fucking magic. That's what they're talking about when they say that. And sometimes if all you have to do is just say, hey, we're making a movie and someone's like, I, I want to be a part of that. That sounds, yeah. like, that sounds like fun. <laughs> and you can get you. You'd be surprised how many things you can get if you can just ask. You know, the worst they can say is no. Yeah. You know, that's that's how you have to look at it. That's that. That's what I have to keep telling myself every time I make shoot, a phone call, and I'm like, uh, you can like shoot here, but you out, got, but, but you got to say our wings are world famous. <laughs> our wings are world famous. Well, generally, what I offer a, a location if I'm getting a location for free is like, um, I'll I'll put their logo and their website in the credits, so that like when someone's watching the movie, obviously they'll know that it was shot there. Yeah, it's like a reference. There. Page, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of like advertising in the movie, kind of. You know, um, is that a PlayStation Vita? Is that a PlayStation Vita? Yeah, yeah, no, we we don't have that kind of money where Sony's paying us. <laughs> you would have to trademark everything in the fucking arcade. Yeah. Thing. Well, that was the thing, right? We we you know all the mach- all the machines were off because it would be. I mean, first off, there's no way to turn the sound off on those things, so the yeah. audio would have been a nightmare to record. Um, but even then, all that shit's copyrighted, right? So you have to be you have to be careful with with that stuff. That stuff you have to take into consideration when you're making these things. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited too. I'm. I'm. Damn, we're gonna believe it. me. I'm way more excited than you could ever possibly be. But um, so we're gonna end up shooting at Mario the Baker, aren't we? Mario the Baker, maybe, <laughs> maybe. 
it really it really depends on on what locations we get and at, at this budget level especially with what you're going to be starting to do and all that you know a lot of it's going to be compromised like you have to be willing to 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 trade off on exactly what you saw in your head and trying to find something that's as close to that as possible simply because we don't have the resources of a hollywood film or yeah. or or those kinds of budgets or anything like that where they can just do anything, right? Yeah, I don't know, but that's like the perfect thing, though, where it's like these big studios want you to do something. And it's like at least, like, even if your budget is small, it's like your stuff. Yeah. You don't have to worry about people telling you, oh, no, you got to change this because... Because know, of X, Y, and Z. Because it doesn't fit in the budget. Or it's not going to make enough money. Or, or it doesn't fit in the budget. Or this person doesn't want to do it like this. Well, a lot of times at this level, you have to have that conversation with yourself, right? I mean, that's that's something that I'm having to do right now. Right. Like I only have like like three, four grand to make this right. Like especially if I don't want to cut into my L.A. money, like I have L.A. money saved up for when I do end up going to L.A. and I don't want to touch that money. So if I'm only making with this little bit that I have saved and this little bit of money that I'm going to have coming in between now and when I actually shoot it like, you know, I'm I it's highly likely I'm probably going to have to cut the car chase and, and the shootout and all that, like even though. Even though I'm watching all these Lovers on the Run movies now because of my uh, for for research, and it's like it is what a are part some of the Lovers genre. on the Run movies? Uh, and well, Bonnie and Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde obviously. obviously. Queen and uh, Slim. Well, you know, yes. Queen and Slim, right? So that is. Oh, I haven't seen. I mean, I that's a different it, take on it, right? Like that's a different you take seen on Queen it. And Slim? It, no, but I'm familiar with the premise, right? Okay. Um, what was one I saw recently? Uh, River of Grass was another one. A true romance. True romance is one of like the quintessential Lovers on the Run movies. That's written know, by right? Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, written by Tarantino as well. Uh, um, isn't a um, Thelma and Louise? Even though it's kind of like Thelma and Louise is, is yeah, that's true. Thelma and Louise does have that quality to it. Uh, what else did I see? Sugarland Express. That's another one. That's oh, an early that's Spielberg that's, that's Spielberg a, movie. That's a classic. That is so good. It's so it. Here's the thing: is that it's Spielberg before Jaws, right? This was his second film, and it's just even that early on in his career, he he still had this magnetic way to the way he makes films. What's wrong with, with Spielberg? No, it's not wrong. I'm saying, I'm saying that like, no, but you said like before Jaws, well, I haven't no, had after okay, Jaws. Cause well, Jaws was his big break, right? Yeah. Jaws was like the movie that really put him on the map and like created the summer blockbuster. Yeah. I'm saying like duel and, and Sugarland express. They have that magnetic quality that all of Spielberg's movies have where from the first frame, you're just hooked. I put on Sugarland Express while I was folding laundry, right? And the second I started it, I got 35 minutes in and I hadn't folded a single fucking shirt because I was just so engaged You're with so the hooked. movie because he just, he has it down packed. I don't know if you've ever seen Duel, his first I, movie. I saw the last like 10 minutes where um, it's him in the, in, in the truck. Dude, it's so good. It's like intense. it's just Duel. All Duel is, is a guy being chased across the i'm uh, not across the country but like basically being chased down this stretch of road by a truck yeah. that's all the movie is this guy's going fucking paranoid because he thinks this truck's after him it, and it's like is the truck actually after him is it not and then and, then, and like, then the truck just turns into like a fucking monster like i mean like it's like a monster movie like you know horror movies yeah. where it's like they're always being chased the truck turns into like a horror movie mon anyway it's just it's so good it's so good right like you know the ending because I was watching his uh, um his uh like the documentary they did for like Spielberg and he said that they wanted to blow up the truck at the end mm -hmm. but he didn't do that because he wanted the sense of fear that even if the truck did you know go over the cliff that he wanted to have that sense of like kind of like scariness to it because yeah they, that it was still there because it was still there like sp you know like spiritually 
Yeah. If you would have blown it up, it would be like, oh, all right, that's it's it. Gone. Like, yeah. it's, it's gone. Like, but the fact that it just, it literally just fell and crashed and it just, like, it's that sense of, like, still, like, sc- you know, like, scariness to the whole I film. I want to see that. It's, it's so, so good, dude. Good. It really is. Did I tell you, did we tell you that we saw The Godfather for the first time? You did tell me, yes. It was, what do you think of it? Wait, that was your first time, too? That was my first time, too. That That's how we did it. Yeah, that was our first That's time. That's how we did it. We saw The Godfather together. Fantastic that experience. Like well, I mean, that's one of the all-time greats. I have the go- I have the a Godfather poster right framed up above my above my desk. Like, we I mean, seen it's, it's and, and then recently we saw the the, the classic. We seen Ace Ventura one and two. Oh, you saw the, the first one. I saw the first that one. Shit's, that's just like so classic. That's just hilarious. And then we saw Ace Ventura two last night. Sam came over, and then we saw Don't Be a Menace in South Central. Oh my! Drinking you, your juice. You saw it. We oh. were getting salt. You seen that, Sergio? Don't be a menace in, in South, South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. It's literally like that's a the pe- full title. Yes. yes, it's written by the way, written directed by the Wayan Brothers. Wayan Brothers. Okay, all right. Some of those movies, but freaking hilarious. <laughs> I recommend you give it a watch. Okay, I mean, it's, I have it's, to write it down. I mean, it's it's it, it, it's literally one of the first like parody films that are like actually funny, because like these new scary movies or like disaster movies, like they're like they're, well, like, okay, so, so this is just going off of the title, right? But I'm guessing it's a parody of of like of, yeah. do the right thing, right? Well, it's or like, movies like that. Yeah. Well, there's different like uh, hood movies, South hood Central, movies. Uh, Jews, um, Menace to Society, and I forgot the other one. Don't like, be a, oh, that's why the title's like that? Yeah, Don't Be a Menace. It, don't Be a Menace in South Central or Drink Your Juice yeah, in the Hood. Because Don't Be oh, a Oh, because those uh, are the titles of the movies. Oh, the my God. Oh, okay. Okay. So now, South now Central, Juice, and then... Uh, that's why it's called that. Okay. I don't know the movies called Parody that. is such a lost art form. Like, you don't see many parody movies anymore. Like, it, like, in the 90s, you would get stuff, you know? And then especially, like, if you go, like, early on, like, Monty Python or, like, Mel Brooks kind of, like... Where they really like deconstructed these genres, like Spaceballs is one of like, honestly, Spaceballs is better than any of the Disney Star Wars oh, movies, course. like full full stop. But like, it's just, I don't know. You don't you don't see a whole lot of movies like Austin Powers or or even Ace Ventura or anything like that where it's like lampooning a certain. Ca- well, I guess Ace Ventura is not really a parody movie. No, nah, like, well, I was about to ask. You don't like, really? you don't see like Austin Powers or anything like that anymore. You know where it's like lampooning a genre. I mean know? the whole. I mean. It's true, like the parodies kind of like just dead. I mean, it became a big thing in the nineties. Why? In the late nineties too. Late nineties. Well, actually, no, early because I think Don't Be a Menace was like ninety, ninety-two, ninety. And then you like, had Weird actually, Al. You know what though? It. I think I think the internet might have something to do with it, right? Because it's so easy for anyone to get like memes loaded up on Twitter and I Instagram, mean, that's and it's one just thing too. think about it, right? A movie is like two hours long. Generally, comedies are like ninety minutes, right? But it's paced. It's not. Like, you have these ebbs and flows of what you're feeling throughout the course of the story. A meme is like a five or seven minute or five or seven second video where it's like high doses of hilarity, like super high concentrations, like 98% purity, like good shit, good shit, right? But you get it so hard and so fast and there's so much of it. That like yeah sure I you know what actually yeah I could actually that actually makes sense why there aren't as many movies anymore like that because you can just get it on Facebook. That's the thing, man. That I'm worried about this movie with is how am I supposed to compete with that? You know, when you make a a movie, when you make a movie, you're competing with every other movie that's ever existed ever. You're competing with HBO, Facebook, Netflix. You're competing with sex. But you said it. People could have sex instead of watch your movie. But you said it yourself. (laughs) It depends on how high 
you hold like your judgment. You the way you critique yourself. No, I'm not talking about my judgment. I, I I'm gonna make I'm gonna make my peace with my movie, right? I'm talking about how am I gonna get then who people cares? to see it? Yeah. Then pay for advertising. Okay, well that's that's uh that that's a different ball pay for game advertising. altogether. How much is Facebook advertising? Two, three hundred? Well, it depends on how long you want to advertise, who you're advertising to, what exactly you're trying to advertise. Well, you better have a budget carved well, out for thing, advertising. If I'm, if I'm making a movie that like is a three thousand dollar movie, it's gonna look like you know like slacker or like these early you know like films that these filmmakers that that make. If I'm trying to put my ad, if I'm trying to put an ad on Facebook for my movie next to something you would see at the cinema that was made for eighty million dollars, oh no, I'm not it's talking about make that. My level. movie look like I'm not shit. talking about that level, of course not. But I'm saying, realistically, how much would two, three hundred dollars of Facebook advertising get you? I don't know, maybe like a few hundred clicks. And I mean, is that what you want? Then hopefully, well, that's word not even a guarantee ho- that they're going to wor- click through to the. Then the hopefully, film. word of mouth will just carry it. That's all. Hope you, that's the best you can hope for. Maybe. That's the best you can hope you for. You get people to go, and through. then you test it. You're like, oh, well, did these people like it? Did the market like it? Did the audience like it? I mean, that's why you do like you know like early like screening, I guess you know to like kind of like a. No, I know, but then and I who do find you, somewhere who do you find earlier too. screen? That's and not again, biased. Who do I even ask? I, I'd have to pay for ads for the screening yeah. so people know to go to the theater just so I can get their opinions for test screenings. And even that's not even for the finished film. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is that like I'm. I know the kind of movies I like to make, and right now I'm trying to make a movie is that's the kind of movie that I would like to see. The thing is, is that I don't know where I would go to find more of me, you know, because mm-hmm. that's where I would have to go. That's where I would have to take the movie. Is like, hey, look, here's this movie that I think you guys would enjoy. I don't know where those people are. That's like, right. I don't, I, I don't know where they adver- congregate. You got to pay for like advertising. That. I guess you'll figure it out. It's all know, learning it's experience. Just, it feels like it's such all an learning easy way to just. Throw money down a hole down something that might not even work. You know, I don't know. You got to spend money to make money, not no, to make I, yeah, money, okay, but you got to. Okay. But it's true. It's in your experience. You have no background with this at all. That's so true. you're, gonna, you're going That's in blind. True. You have to figure out. Because well, I also don't it. have an audience. And it's a right? good barometer of how it actually is to an extent, whether it reaches your market audience or not. Whoever watches it, whether it's like 80 freaking Cuban viejitas that end up watching that movie. Yeah, whatever but if they like it they like it and like a grandson exactly and then they and they they pass on word of mouth i mean i don't know i'm just thinking that's the way i would advertise i don't know it. but that's more like uh like and you're not doing like big triple a you're not printing out posters nothing like yeah, that yeah. that's just something thinking in mind when you're talking about that stuff mm-hmm. i mean with like word to mouth is more like just you're kind of hoping in a way because when you yeah you can't guarantee yeah, that yeah. right like because at least with like paying advertise you're like okay i pay you know like well you how do how do all these small mo- how did clerks become a thing they took it to sundance and they got bought by harvey weinstein damn yeah well that's the thing that's what the film festival experience was right like those that's like a cinderella story where they make this movie for twenty seven thousand dollars they shoot it in a convenience store you've seen clerks i'm guessing right the, the, I saw the first the, one i saw the f- I saw the second one actually. You haven't seen the first one? Yeah. Oh wow! You should actually. But I mean, the budget though was like really low. Yeah, twenty-seven thousand dollars. Yeah. Have you? No, that was one of the movies that taught me how to make movies. Actually, the documentary on that Blu-ray. If you, I'll I'll lend you that Blu-ray if you want to watch it. Like, I mean, that's especially if you want to get into films. That's that's a good where a good place to start, at at the bare minimum. But um, no, what was I saying? Right. So they take it to Sundance, and then obviously there's an executive sitting in the audience, and then they end up buying the movie. And that's typically why you would want to send your film to a to 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 that. Because that's a real barometer. Because that's that's where the people who buy these movies are, are gonna finding be. out where what the next movies they're releasing are. Yeah. The problem is that because there are so many movies, it's so much harder to get in there. Sundance 
used to be the place where someone could make a $27,000 movie and get it in there. Now Sundance is the type of place where you really only get in if you've got, you know, Ryan Gosling or you got a name or you're like already an established director. And if it's your like third feature or your second feature, maybe if you're like a really big deal, maybe you'll go to Sundance. But those like high so Sundance got exclusive. Huh? So Sundance got really exclusive. Yeah, well Sundance is in the same caliber like as Con or 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 um Toronto. How does it get it? How hard is it to get into Con or Toronto? As hard as it is to get into Sundance. That's the thing. Is that you can submit your film. There's no guarantee. Bro, why don't we make a Miami? What, what about the Miami? There has to be one in Miami. Miami has an international film festival. They do, but their films typically oh, tend Latin to be American Latin based. American. They're usually Spanish language. Um, so they're they're a different sort of uh, it's a whole different it's audience, taste, a yeah. different and a different culture too. That's the thing, and that this movie that I'm making, I I I don't think it would play well there, simply because most of it's going to be in English. I do want a little bit of Spanish in there because it takes place in Miami, and I want oh a little okay, because I was about to be like, you're such there. a cardinal sinner, because well, you what's what? the biggest complaint you have that when you're shooting in a country or whatever, and they're speaking English. Well, yeah, but the story's about like I mean the the no, girl's like a second generation. I like, thought oh, then you really changed up that draft. You no, really no, no, changed no, up that no, no, I'm not talking about Cuba right now. I'm talking about the movie I'm going to make this oh, year. Oh, okay, okay, I'm okay. No, 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 yeah. No, no, Cuba, that's a completely different thing. Oh, okay. That has to be in Spanish. Okay, sure, that could open at MIFF, but, like, I mean, by the time I get the mo- if I'm in a place in my career where I can get the money to make that, like, I feel like it's going to open in a I lot feel, more places than MIFF. I <laughs> feel like you start in MIFF. It's like an $85 I feel million like dollar MIFF movie. would be good, or maybe even take it even I'm smaller. I'm going to send it there. Don't let's, get me wrong. I'm going to it. apply... But just because I apply doesn't mean I'm gonna get in. Let's you shrink know? it. Let's go. What about at Fort Lauderdale FF? Fort Lauderdale FF? Daytona I FF? I don't know. No, I have to look. There's there's Dunedin re- FF. There's research that still needs to be <laughs> done. Look, I'll, I'll, I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you. Right now, I'm still in the script phase. Right, I'm redrafting. I'm researching. I'm going over my script with a red, you know, with a red pen, making that fucker bleed. Uh, I'm still working out the kinks of the story, and that's what I'm focusing on. I'm trying to take this stuff one step at a time because the big problem that I have is that my pl- my brain's in seven places at once. I'm trying to think seven steps ahead of every possible decision I could possibly make, and a lot of times I just wear myself ragged when I do that shit. So I'm focusing on the story right now, and once I have the script into a place where it's like, okay, this is the script we're shooting, then I'm going to start focusing on like, okay, what are we going to look at for the pre-production plans and what does release look like in that, you know, that and that the question of what uh, festivals am I going to go to? What where am I going to get this movie seen will get answered then. So I don't have a I don't have a full answer for you. But if if I had to guess where I'm going to be sending this thing and where it might go, I'm probably going to send it to. Uh, probably the Orlando Film Festival. I mean, the the Orange County Film Festival. I mean, because it's regional, you know, like it's a Florida movie and it was made in Florida. It's made by Floridians. And that typically tends to get more play over there than most people. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that like I'm not going to I'm making an assumption about Moonlight right now. Right. Because I don't know what their release plans were. But it seems interesting to me that, yes, Moonlight did get to Sundance. But like that seems like a movie that would have done gangbusters in MIFF, you know, because it is part of the culture and it is there. Right. But it is also a different type of movie. It is a different segment of the culture, right? And my FF tends to lend toward the Latin aspect of no, it. No, but I still think that tends to ask. But I still think it would have played. You don't think that would have killed that MIFF? I think so too. But the question is, why wasn't it there? You know, and maybe it's as simple as they just didn't send it. You know, yeah, maybe. But maybe it's also that it's just not 
that's you know, a part of Miami because, that gets over. The film was that's shot big, in Miami doesn't mean it's going to get into the MFF. That's a big part of Miami that's overlooked. The whole Liberty City. That nor- I agree with like you. I agree with you. But that's just something I'm considering. Is like, just because my movie was shot in Miami, just because all the actors are from Miami, I think feel that, like it's it worth a shot. There, I feel like it's worth a shot. Yes, I agree with you. Okay. I'm just saying because I take that shot, it doesn't mean that it's going to get anywhere. Oh no, I'm fully. Does Miami Beach have a film festival too? Huh? Does Miami Beach have one too? Uh, maybe I don't think so. I think MIFF is the Miami Beach. We should start the West Kendall FF. The West Kendall Film Festival. <laughs> well, you know what? I actually have you know full you know surround sound and a good 4K display now, so I can definitely hold more film festivals out here. The problem is is getting people to drive out here. Like I'm sure you're, a keen, you know, keenly aware of driving all the way out here. I'm you know, 20 feet that way. There's no civilization anymore. It's just fucking grass. You know, no, like that, like that way too. Yeah. So you know, we're we're far as fuck away from everything. So I don't know how many people would show up to the West Kendall Film Festival, but you know, Gonzo's need to see Die Hard. Gonzo, that's true. Have you seen Die Hard? Yeah. Okay. All right. Seen Die Hard. I watch all of them. What's your favorite Die Hard? First one. The first one. Yes. My favorite is the third one, the one with Sam Jackson. Oh, it's honestly, I think that movie. I honestly think it's better than (laughs) Die Hard One. But like, it's been. Here's the thing. I came up with that opinion after I saw Die Hard Three, and I haven't seen Die Hard Three since I saw it the first time. So I really, I really need to watch it again. Are you gonna see The Shining? Huh? Are you gonna see The Shining? Oh, I've seen The Shining before. Well, I mean, like. Oh, the new one, Doctor Sleep. No, man, the one at night that they're playing Coral Gables. Oh, they're playing uh, like a midnight movie. Yeah, no, I already I took Ryan to go see it at at Sunset Place on in October. So I'm, I'm I mean I. I'm good, honestly. I mean, unless you really, it, unless it's really important to you. I, I mean, know. I'm going. I'm going tonight to go see uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. They have a. Oh, they have a live uh, orchestra playing the the music. It's 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 considered the first horror film, so it's a silent film. So most of you know the whole thing is a score, but they're having a composer actually come in and play the score of the film live while they're like the while they're showing the film. Yeah, because it's the hundredth anniversary of the movie, which is crazy, by the way. Nineteen twenty was a hundred years ago. That means 1917 was 103 years ago. That is correct. That is also <laughs> correct. <laughs> and, and, I mean, let's see this year with the movies, too. Let's see what the, the movies come out. Well, actually, so I did actually want to ask you about that. So toward the end of this oh, month, yeah, I do right. want to do like a 2019 movie wrap-up. So if you want to come back, we can totally do. Because we've right. we've we're, we're already about to hit the two-hour mark on this thing. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, so... Um, but yeah, okay. So then we'll we'll figure that out because that would probably be in like two weeks that we would record. Well, that. we need to get the list from you so I could know what I, I mean. Well, okay. So watching. part of it, uh, have you seen Parasite? Yeah. Okay. Thank God. All right. So you're a true movie fan. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> that shit's amazing. Okay. Well, that's that's one of the films that I feel needs to be talked about. So he hasn't seen it, and then I the guy, uh, my friend Sayer, that I'm thinking of having on as well for that episode, he he definitely hasn't seen yeah, it. Seen so it. Um, so what we'll do we need to watch? What's the list? Um, I mean, we could already kind of like establish right now. Like, so we've seen we got Parasite. We're gonna go see 1917 on Tuesday. Have you seen Uncut Gems? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, so there's Uncut Gems. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Have you seen, seen that it. one yet? I haven't seen it. Haven't seen it. You haven't, haven't seen, seen it. it. Haven't seen it. Okay. Uh, Joker. You saw Joker? I haven't seen Joker. Oh my oh god, my dude. Okay. God. I'm gonna have to fill all this. Joker. <laughs> um, Irishman. That's another yeah, big one from this year. I guess I'm gonna have to watch that one too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're gonna have to do a lot of catch up if you actually. That's why I was saying that I felt like Parasite was really the only one that really needed to be seen because it's like just that 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 movie is the Irishman just seems else. so intimidating because of the length. 
But I'll, I agree I'll with find you. it. I'll find I, un- I understand for someone who doesn't watch a whole lot of movies why that would seem intimidating. Hey, man, I've been watching movies left and right. Like I said, That's I've been true. watching That's busting true. out classics. Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Irishman, Uncut Gems, Parasite, Joker. Um, oh, marriage Story. Oh, yes. Anyway. Marriage Story was so good. Super yeah, I, I, I held off on, on watching it until I finished my first draft. What about The Lighthouse? I didn't want it to the affect lighthouse. The, the, the Lighthouse. Script. The Lighthouse was really good, too. Oh God, I saw watching um, it a lot. Uh, Midsummer? Did you see that one? Yeah. Okay, so uh, Midsummer's interesting because I really liked Hereditary. I did not like Midsummer. I actually was the opposite. I, I actually, really? I actually like Midsummer more than Hereditary. And oh. I watched Hereditary first, and I loved it. I was like, all right, this is the best. But when I saw Midsummer, I was just like, I don't know. I felt like I was just, I feel like I missed completely what he was trying to say emotionally with the shit that was going on. Because what? like I could understand Hereditary as this story about like the 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 tragedy, right? Like yeah. this family tragedy, how they're dealing with it and how like a parent can actually feel something like resentment toward their child, right? Mm. Like that's a very complicated, weird thing that yeah. people don't want to talk about. Like yeah. a parent hating their kid, yeah. that's a weird thing. Like you know? at a point where it's like, I remember she was like, I, I mean, even though it was a dream, but she was like, oh, like I, I didn't want to have you or some shit. And then, exactly, and exactly, like, right? So you have that shit, but it's just like it does it in the context of a horror movie, so people are more in- willing to deal with an idea like that. But with Midsommar, it was like, her parents died because her uh, her sister. I mean, that part was kind of like. And I don't. I really don't know. Aside from like the just, I guess maybe some of the the more. I I don't know if I'd call them quieter moments, but I I guess I I just had trouble just uh, relating what the two had to do with each other. Her experience at the at the compound and that beginning. Like I don't know what he was going for there, and then. Especially what I mean, and whatever I'm, I'm ruining most of the movie here. Yeah, but, thank you. Well, so I, you don't have to see it now, right? I guess. Uh, I mean, like the thing about the script, the uh, um, um, Ari Aster was said that uh, he had like a bad like breakup. Like he was going through a bad breakup, and that's where he came up with the concept. But I think, I think for what she was going there is she was trying to find something because she had lost something, and then I think the guy was just trying to be that support system. But like again, it's almost that that concept from your movie where it's like the girl's trying to find, mm-hmm. you know, someone and to fill a void. To, yeah, like to fill a void. And oh, maybe she's missing a family, and these people welcome her exactly. in. Exactly. I really need to watch it again, dude. Honestly, because I like I the first time I watched it, I was like, I really wanted to engage with it, but I was like, you really need to, dude. I just you really need to I, watch it some, over there again. There was some connection. Missing. That's why that ending when you saw it, like how how crazy it was. Oh, it is a crazy yeah, ending. Yeah, Don't like get me crazy. wrong. Like, but like you you knew from there, like she had found what she was. I know, for. but there are so many long sections of that movie where. There's like, there's just, I'm not saying that I want a horror movie to be horror 100% of the time, but like Hereditary had a really good balance of like, you know, uh, the horror aspects, but then the world building aspects Mm. and then the quiet sort of tension aspects. There are a lot of parts of Midsommar that are like kind of meandering and they don't really go anywhere or like really even contribute to what he's trying to, at least least the ending, right? Don't really contribute to setting that up. And that that was what really dislodged me from the movie because there were a bunch of times where I'm like, what what are we what are we doing right now? Like what what's going on? And I always tell people, um, Hereditary is more like eerily horrifying, and then Midsummer is more like beautifully horrifying because one has to do with interior. That's a good way of describing it. Interior. Yeah. If you think about it, um, like Hereditary is always at night. It's always like interior, 
and everything happens at night. While as midsummer is like its exterior, so you have more of a range of like, okay, it's more safer. You, you, you know, you could say. But well, because most of the movie takes place in the day, and, right? And, and, they, and you have these big open fields, and it looks very serene. And but that's, yeah, I hadn't thought of that actually. But that's where the whole like I think twist of the movie is, where it's like you think you're safe in the day, but that's where literally the whole ritual is, and also the fact that um, it's about control and power. Like you know, they're always on drugs all the time. So that's true. and then literally the whole like the whole scene, like some of the scenes when they're on drugs, it's like moving. You know, so it's like. That kind of, um, as the viewer, you kind of get hooked up in that, like, uh, like subliminally. You know? Yeah. But I don't know, man. Like Midsummer to me was, and it's funny because I got back into horror film ever since Get Out. I was like, okay, yeah, let me give it a really because again, ho- like horror films have to be something more of a psychological. I think, like, obviously, I totally agree with you. They have to be operating on a deeper level emotionally. I, I can't. You little fucker. <laughs> she figured it out. What a loyal dog. She took her two hours to get through that cardboard box. <laughs> and now, no, man, she's not getting out. She's like, I ain't going anywhere. She's like, can I get some well, pets? going on camera because now I can't. She, get out. Out. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, she's just going to. Uh, she doesn't listen. She doesn't listen. She, she likes to pretend that she owns the whole house. Look at Toast. Look at Toast. Look how nice of a dog he is. Come on. Let's just uh, let's just make sure that this this uh, dog knocks over all the cameras and the <laughs> lights and the wires and <laughs> unplugs things and you know now she's eating your shoes and yeah she did no my great shoes? yeah. Oh my God, Lilo! Don't eat my shoes. No, you can't tell her what to do. It's she's Lilo. Um, what was the other one? Oh, um, uh, the lighthouse. Lighthouse was really good. You know, Lighthouse honestly kind of inspired part of the movie that I'm writing right now. Because, like, I don't generally like one-location movies because they feel small, and I feel like I can see the filmmaking when I watch those movies. But that one was done so well and so... Oh, my God. The production design and just the performances, just just letting Defoe and Pattinson really just work on each other and just, like, really just go fucking nuts. It was just so exciting and it showed me that like you can have a movie that takes place in one general area and yeah. still have it be really compelling yeah. and like almost troubling to some extent that that cabin fever aspect is something that I i'm, mean, the I'm thing really is, trying too, to like, go for they're like in there for the whole time for, for yeah like, it was like what like three months or something i think so it was like two and a half months or three two months. And a half months and it's like the fact that um you got to know their backstories as they like drank basically yeah because like obviously the like the one that was already crazy was uh, Defoe, but um, Patterson was already had like demons before him. So like everything you well, saw, I mean, the beginning part of the movie, he doesn't even want to drink, right? Yeah, like, like he he makes a point of like, oh, I'll only take water, and Defoe gives him shit for that, and mm-hmm. eventually they start drinking. Anyway, I definitely don't want to talk too much about that one because I think you'd really like that one. Wait, I think you li- Lighthouse. Oh, you haven't watched okay. it? No, I've seen none oh, of his man. movies, man. Oh my God, Lilo! Yeah, Lilo. <laughs> it's great. Isn't it great having a smelly ass dog just <laughs> completely disrespect your personal space? What? Uh, what do you do with Lila? Man, I'm getting assaulted by a dog's tail. I think it's like <laughs> a freaking baseball bat. It is a whip. No, you know what? In our old house, when we were like uh, working on a section of the wall, um, 
there was like a loose nail and she smacked her tail into the nail, but she had no idea that she did it. So she's just running around the house, wagging her tail, flinging blood everywhere. So it looks like just like someone about two feet tall just got stabbed <laughs> and is squirting all over the place <laughs> like, as they're running around flailing. A that's, Tarantino-esque like, that's like it. Yeah, um, blood vibes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tarantino tots, maybe. You know. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, okay, how do I go get these movies? Um, well, you can, a lot of them are already out on like home video, so you could like rent them. Uh, yeah. some of them are on Netflix. Which uh, ones are on Netflix? Well, Irishman, obviously. Irishman, I don't, I don't, Irishman and Marriage Story, off the top of my head, are also on Netflix. Well, they're, exclu- um, they're um, ex- um, exclusive, so obviously they. Yeah, they're, they're, they're oh, Marriage Story is Netflix exclusive. Yeah. Well, they, they, they funded the movie, right? So they. Hey, have you guys seen The Two Popes? No. I want to see it. Good. I saw it. It's it good? Really? Yeah, I saw it. It's pretty good. With Hopkins and. Uh, Hopkins and. It's a British guy. Price. Very uh, good. You know who directed that? The guy who did City of God. Yeah, that, that that. I had no idea until I saw that that chat that Martin Scorsese yeah. did the roundtable thing. I had no idea that that was one of his movies. Two Popes was nowhere near my radar, and then I saw when he did that, it's like, oh shit! Now I have to watch this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Two Popes is pretty good. It's pretty good. All right, that's good to hear. I gotta I gotta check that one out. Um. All right. Well, if we're gonna close this out. I have one question. It's probably the most important question that you can ask anyone who's interested in film. And what is your favorite movie of all time? <laughs> damn. That's a, damn, to be honest, uh, Toy Story. Toy Story. Yes. Why? It has to do a lot of, a lot with uh, childhood, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my first movie. Um, but I don't know. There's a lot of themes that are like really like uh, um, just uh, like universal. Like the appreciation of being a, a, um, a child, you know. Um, when you're small, like... You know, like toys mean something to you, and it's like they are, are part of your constructive identity. So, mm-hmm. and, and whatever you uh, like, like the thing is to never lose the kid in you when you grow up. And I think that's what the movie was going for, where it's like, even though it, I mean, and I'm talking about like the sequels, obviously, but um, it's just the fact that it's about childhood and like just the appreciation of being a child. And the innocence of being a child. And it's like all these toys, how basically they become a part of your life. And And their only mission is just to serve Andy. To to serve Andy. But then after after then, it's like it's about serving other kids, too, that are are like the future, you know. Did you feel like Toy Story 4 was necessary? Yes and no. Um, Yes, because I love the way they ended it. And I really love the way they... they, uh, like that whole ending, I I literally cried because I was just like it was literally like saying like goodbye to my childhood. You know, it was like saying like all right, like you didn't feel like you got that in three. I feel like I no, already got like, that in three. Yeah, no, honestly, no. I mean, obviously, like because he left, but it was because I was so attached to the Woody oh, character. Oh, that's true. So like him like leaving uh the group was kind of saying like all right, like you know. Uh, so long partner. It was, yeah, so long partner. It was like saying like, you know, goodbye to my childhood and then like saying like, all right, like you have to move forward. and He has to move on with his life. Exactly. So it's like, and he's going to be serving other kids or he's going to be there. He's at not going to serve anyone. Isn't he just going to be with Bo Peep? And well, yeah, he's going out on his own, you yeah. know? I mean, that was part of the Get finding of his own way mm. was the was the message of that story but it how does retirement know, just, look like for a toy four, it's just it's like, a weird number to end on yeah well yeah, they're not gonna end on it you're not gonna no. end on it hell no are you kidding me how much money that 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 movie made no this is Disney. Not, i don't even feel like it's they're a toy gonna story movie i don't feel like that's movies as they can a spin-off doesn't even feel like a toy story movie because i feel like all oh, the screen time always is dominated between like woody and bo peep 
But like, yeah. but I do agree with and you. They, it did kind of feel like one of those spin-off shorts that you'd find on the DVD or something like that. Oh like, yeah, like the first like uh like the first like twenty minutes, twenty five minutes of like the the film. It's like a short like a uh, like like sh- short story basically. Yeah, like it was. And then they just like, in my opinion, they just ruined Buzz and Four. They made him to like an idiot. But yeah. I don't know Buzz Lightyear being an idiot. Yeah. I mean, he barely had any quality time on, yeah. on the screen, so I was kind of like, because, again, the story was mostly about uh, Woody and Bo, like, reconnecting together. But, I mean, that's why I'm, like, mixed about it, but mm-hmm. I love the movie. Like, the movie to me is, like, you know. Oh, yeah, it has a lot of sentimentality to it and all but that. But, again, it, it's 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 done in a way where it has a lot of real issues, like, you know, like, about, about like, them. Like, and they're just inanimate objects, you know, they're just toys, but the way they portray the human emotion, like, I think that's even, like, the best part about it. And then how, like I was saying, like, he, you know, it was, like, for him to say goodbye. Like, that whole scene was just, like, really constructed well. Like, mm-hmm. And, um, I mean... I mean, that's what Pixar is fantastic at. Just making, giving life to inanimate objects. Like, bro, like, up. Like, imagine that movie, Up, like... It up? Uh, I don't go up. I go more, like, Wally. For real? I think, I, I, mean, I think Up is the most overrated film I've ever seen. For real? Yeah. I, I, I'm not a fan of Up at well, all. I think, I think a lot of people fest. aren't expecting the movie to get so emotional yeah, so quickly because yeah. they open the movie with that 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 sequence right and yeah you're going right because i'm a cold heartless bastard and i have no emotions i'm an old man so what's gonna happen next um come on but come i think on. i think the reason people really give that movie like that sort of level of like it's the best pixar is because it makes them feel what you typically feel at the end of a pixar movie at the beginning of a pixar movie yeah. so it, it's i think i think that really has more to do with it than anything else I'm an old man, old man, old people die. No, but you know, there's a lot of uh, uh freaking Wally is a beautiful freaking movie. Wally has more humanity. No. I got, I'm willing to say, at the is it Pixar? Is Ratatouille Pixar? Yeah, it is. No. Ratatouille yeah. is there or is it Disney animation? I think animation. No, 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 it, it, it's it's Ratatouille is the best Pixar movie of all time. I don't give a fuck. That's Ratatouille. the one. That's I gotta my see hot that the visual, the the Come score, here. the visual, the message, the just every that's the best movie. That's the best movie, hands down. That Pixar's made. For Pixar? In my opinion. Ratatouille. Look, like, and I mean, I understand it's like Disney and stuff, but I feel like with their live action, like movies, they have to make them more serious. Like Mulan, with the new one that they're mm. coming out with, I feel like it has to be serious. Like, I, like I already know it's going to be like a really kind of, obviously, like it's a Disney film. It's for, I mean, for kids. I mean, they're not, but. I mean, they're trying. They are right? trying they're to get not, serious. There's, there's no, no love music, interest. There's no love interest yeah. anymore. No, but I, I mean, they're. I'm yeah, saying like, like when it comes to the, like to the actual, I guess, um, I mean, the story is obviously serious, mm-hmm. but I guess. Um, oh, you're just trying to just they have to up their A game? Or yeah, up? like the, the, just like. How did you guys feel? Maybe the fight scenes and stuff, you know, like. How did you guys feel about. How do, what's your take on them? Because I never saw the Jungle Book uh, live action, but I heard, you know, that was the first one to start this live action yeah, phase. I and I heard it. good things about it. And then I saw, what was the second one? I, I feel like it's Beauty and the Beast. Or was there no, one before well, that? I think, n- no, Jungle Book was the first one to make a lot of money. But, I mean, they've been doing this since Cinderella. Cinderella, I think, was the first they one. Made they, made yeah. they made a live action yeah. Cinderella? They made a live action Cinderella. Uh, with, 2015. Uh, with the chick from Baby Driver. Yeah. Um, it was in 2015 they did it. Really? And then, and then I think and it was Jungle and Book. And then it was Jungle Book and then, and then Beauty and the Beast, Beast and then The Lion King, which I, I didn't like. Because I feel like Beauty and the Beast was pretty good. I actually went on to say I think Beauty and the Beast live action is better than their classic. I actually have you not seen mean? any of the live action ones. Yeah. I mean, I saw The Jungle Book and I saw The Lion King. But The Lion King is just... It was, 
It's not that it's bad, but it was just like the way uh, I mean, it's, it's it, not it, meant it, to be live ta- action. Yeah, mm. it's a tall task from like trying to recreate something. What's next, Monsters Inc. Freaking live action. Yeah, like. <laughs> or like Danny DeVito as Mike Wazowski. What's <laughs> <laughs> the thing, right? Is that at a certain point they're gonna run out of? Well, the first, the next one is Little Mermaid, right? They've already confirmed that, but. At a certain point, they're going to run out of movies to remake, and then they're going to have to remake the remakes. Wazowski. I mean, that's what I think this whole, like, that's why people don't go to the movies anymore, because it's just like, it's like a bunch of, like, recycled, you know, uh, stuff. Well, you know what's really funny? I don't know if you've seen the trailer for Free Guy, the the new Ryan Reynolds movie, which is now technically a Disney movie since Disney bought Fox. But it they in the trailer, they make fun of the fact that they got bought out by Fox. It's like from the studio that made... Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, <laughs> and The Jungle Book twice. <laughs> <laughs> or no, the and Aladdin. That's what it was. The third oh, one. Aladdin. Oh, Aladdin. Aladdin's the one that got crapped on. And it makes the, it makes the joke that they made him twice. Uh, I didn't even I didn't even watch. Aladdin's it, the honestly. one that got universally like dead pants. Like this one's like trash. I maybe to some to some degree. I I don't I don't I didn't look into much of it because it's just I don't I don't want to reward that behavior. I don't want I don't want to reward that business practice of we're just gonna make the same thing again. Just and, in real person. Yeah. Like, but Especially Lion King. Like, again, I haven't seen it, so I'm not going to speak about the movie. I'm speaking about the stuff that I've seen outside the movie, the trailers. Like, they're literally making an animated movie again. And they're animating again. But oh, Which the, one? The Lion King. It's they anima- it, they're going to animate a, it again? No. no, they, no, no, no it like, starts as a cartoon, and then now they're doing a 3D animation. Because apparently oh, 2D yeah. animation just doesn't make any money anymore, so we can't hand draw shit anymore. Uh, so they're trying to make it as realistic as possible. And by making it as realistic as possible, they've completely gotten rid of all of the character. Like, it's just like these animals that aren't designed to talk like humans flapping their their mouths. (laughs) And that's kind of it. Where were you when 10 years in the future, you see a black screen and all you hear is, Wazowski. (laughs) Oh, God. And Danny DeVito (laughs) is Mike Wazowski. (laughs) Always sunny. It's always sunny. And then freaking. I take the garbage and then I eat it. I eat the garbage. (laughs) I don't know why this is the first line every time I think of that show, but it's just. But whore. Your mother is a dirty, dirty whore. Your mother's a whore. Dirty, She's just a dirty whore. Dirty whore. You've got the AIDS. The (laughs) HIV. Big time. Oh my God. Oh no. I dropped my monster condom for my (laughs) Magnum Dawn. So good. That's a so classic. Good. That's one of those shows that every episode is exactly oh, the same. Oh, they did Dumbo it's too. So good. They did Dumbo oh, yeah, too. That's right. Dumbo was in it. Danny one. DeVito was in it. That's true. <laughs> That's true. There you go. Was it good? I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? I haven't seen it. When uh, they get a remake Song of the South. <laughs> Isn't that the one? Isn't that the one? I'm not going for what you think I'm going to go for. Isn't oh, okay. that? Isn't that the one where it goes? Isn't that the movie goes zippity doo da? That is the zippity doo da movie. Yes, that is. But where, that's also the one that where, is where the Splash Mountain characters come from, and it's also a movie that Disney will never let you see because so they drop the N word, right? No, 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 no. They, I don't think they drop any N bombs okay. in the movie. It's just the portrayal of Uncle Remus as sort of this like Uncle Tom, like you know, G Willikers, aw shucks kind of you know character, especially in the Antebellum South, and uh. it's just it's not. It's not the the most realistic portrayal of that character. It's very it's driven a lot by by cliches of the time. Yeah. Um so, you know, a lot of people perceive it as racist and, you know, rightly so. But like the only time I've ever seen it mentioned by Disney was on Disney Plus in the Imagineering story when they're talking about the development of of 
of uh, Splash Mountain, the Angela Bassett not, not, uh, narrates the whole the whole series. And they mention that the characters are based on a very racist movie from the 60s called Song in the South. And they show, like, I think one picture of it. Zippity and that's the only time I've ever seen Disney day. actually acknowledge the movie's my existence my at all. What a wonderful <laughs> at all. day. Zippity doo da, zippity day. Doo 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 doo. Damn, dude, we just got copyright strike. Can't believe you do that to us. Dude, we're 72 bucks away from fucking making it. Yeah. More, <laughs> li- more like uh, 92 bucks. We're 72 cents away from our first dollar. Let's put it that way. What are you going to do when you wake up at 2 a.m. and Lilo's at your door and she goes, <laughs> Wazowski. <laughs> Lilo's not in. She, look, man, Lilo, calm down. I think that's what you got to do to calm her down. Just go. Is just let her sit here? No, just go. Wazowski. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Lilo. All right, well. Hey, which is your favorite movie, by the way? Oh, Back to the Future. Part what? one? Part one, yeah. Part one. What? Well, you know, my favorite I mean, used to what? be two because I liked the future aspect of it and, and how timey-wimey All time? Was. But my all-time favorite film is Back to the Future 1. What? Yeah. Really? Yes, for sure. It was the movie that made me fall in love with film. You're such garbage, yo. I remember I was seven years old, and we'll wrap up on this because we're about to hit two and a half hours. Uh... I, I was seven years old, and I really, really loved SpongeBob SquarePants. This was my favorite show. I knew every episode. I could perform it for you if you asked me. Um, and I wanted the first season on DVD. And for my birthday that year, I begged my mom to get me the first season on DVD. And on my birthday, I opened up a DVD box set, right? I, I can feel that it's DVDs in there. I open it, and it's the Back to the Future trilogy. And I remember asking her, what is this? I didn't want this, right? Like, I didn't, you know, like, why, why did you give this to me? And she was like, oh, when I was your age, I really enjoyed those movies. And then that was when I got the talk of like, hey, someone got you a gift. They thought of you. You know, you have, you know, you need to show some, some, yeah, you need to be grateful. Um, But anyway, I think it was like a week later or or some amount of time later, I ended up, uh, I ended up at my grandmother's house and I watched the first movie and I just remember being so enraptured by it that I went and watched two and three immediately right after. I watched all three of them in the same night. And I remember this moment of at the end of part two when when Marty comes back and he scares Doc and Doc's like, it can't be you. I just sent you back. <laughs> and he's like, I know, but I'm back. I'm back from the future. Mm. And he looks at the camera. And at the same time with Doc, I went, great, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and he drops and I'm like, oh, my God. And I had to watch the third movie at that point. And anyway, um, yeah, at that at that moment, I knew that I loved movies, and I just I wanted to watch as many movies as I could, and just just the the range of emotions and and feeling things, and it's just like so much fun and funny and exciting, yeah. and it's like and a cool concept, and and the creativity too, like that. Yeah, that yeah. Especially no, it, it hit it hit me at at the right time. You know, I think that's ultimately why why it ended up being being the one that did it. And yours, David. I have like prime, like primo reserve when it comes to like my best movies that I've ever seen. My favorite one, I can just pop it. <sighs> it's that I can't just pop in and watch it because it's over like four hours long, but definitely like Lawrence of Arabia. Damn. Uh, like, but that's like a classic. So, like, I feel like the asshole in the room when you guys are just like listing all like these cult classics, which are fun to watch, easy to watch. And I I'm wouldn't call Back to the Future or Toy Story cult classics yeah. at all. Well, They're not some cult of the classic. Most popular yeah, American okay. films of all you're time. You're right. You're right. But. They're not like critically acclaimed or nothing like that. You feel me? Toy Story has like what, like a ninety-eight on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and oh my God. Back <laughs> to the Future has like a hundred. How many awards? How many awards does it have? 
No, but know, it, Toy Story won Best Animated Feature the year it okay, came out. I'm yeah, pretty sure. but 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 they're, they're like the only real competition. They dominate that field. You get me? Oh, when it comes to awards in '96, who else in is there? In 1996, when no one was doing computer animation, who else was dominating it? Well, I mean, Walt. I mean, I guess Walt Disney Studios, right? But I mean, like, sure, they're, they're all part of Disney. They're, they're competing with themselves, but. Look, man, I think you're you're seriously discrediting how how big of a deal Toy Story was, and Back I to the Future as well. I, I mean, know, I know, like Back to the, the Future. It's a it's a humong- It's a very movies. has a very big influence on American culture. I'm not discrediting the fact, but I'm just it's saying just that yours is more like uh, AFI, you know, film connoisseur mm, type, you know, primo. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't that wasn't like the fifties too. I mean, so it's like sixty. Like, it was still like the golden era of like. 62, I but think I, it came out. I, or like, I feel like I feel like um, with these new films, it's like the since the marketing is so high, I think that's why like uh, like Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, at that time, think about it. Only, no, yeah, only like a few of people would go see that movie. That was like a monstrosity of a movie. Just like yeah. ep- you know, what needs to come back epics. You know what I gotta say? I gotta see Ben Hur. That's yeah, not, here's the thing: is that like I don't that was know when I was gonna say that's another epic attention too. span for epics, right? Unless they're superhero epics. Because that's the thing. Avengers Endgame was a three-hour movie. You know, like, a, for a long time, the wisdom was, like, if your movie's more than, you know, two hours, you know, you're already risking it. You know, people worrying about attention spans and all that shit. But it's just it's just with the fact that superhero movies just own the theaters at this point, yeah. and it's just, like, the big ten poles, like the Jurassic Parks or the Star Wars or Avatars or whatever, like, it's going to be... You, a it's movie hard. like that, 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 that is probably not going to happen like if it if it happens it's like once in a decade you know and even then if you really want to see an epic you're probably better off looking into like foreign cinema you know like you can still you can still find big sweeping movies like that you know like i there was a movie that came out last year um unfortunately the guy who made the film he he um, committed suicide shortly after he made it um I think his name was uh oh my god something Bo, I think it was Hu Bo. He's a Chinese f- filmmaker. I, I I'm butchering his name, but um he made a movie where I, I think it was called like uh, the Elephant, or 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 something. But it was about these four people who like, and it's about the stories that led them all to find this like elephant that like doesn't move or doesn't do anything. I, it's it's really weird, but it's like a four and a half hour movie, and everyone who's saying it is like it's like a religious experience when they watch it. It's one of those kinds where it's like if you give it the time, it, there's this like big sweeping emotionality to it that you know that you only get when you have that kind of time. Time. That's that's something that actually worries me about the movie. That and again, I know I keep talking about the movie I'm working on, but like you know, especially with a relationship, when it comes to films, like. Things have to happen so quickly because, like, you have like an hour and a half, two hours tops to really get through a story. I think with a relationship, I feel like it has to be fast, though. Well, it has to be fast because it's a movie. But I feel like you would get a more a, a richer feeling of a of a of that story of of love blossoming in a TV series where you have like eight hours where you can really get into something where you can really see a relationship grow and develop, I think that's but I feel that's like really the, the, the mode for it. But I feel like, I mean, even though this is kind of like, it goes vice versa, but I feel like um, if your film's more about like uh, character driven, I feel like it should it should be like time-wise, you know, like longer. Oh, sure. Because you have to get to know the character, you have to invest in the character. Yeah. If it's plot driven though, it's like, 
you could cut it, but at the end of the day, without one, the other one doesn't work. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like the balancing act. With, really. with, because it's look, it's the same thing about like you know, like the war films, like um, like Dunkirk did it perfectly, where it's like, it was an hour and like forty, but. Dunkirk was an hour forty only. Like hour, hour, yeah. Hour forty five. Really? Actually, no, you're right. Yeah, no, that's yeah. true. And, yes, and wow. and then the whole point of the movie is survival and time because obviously, the genius of Christopher Nolan is always about time, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, um, the fact that he, you know, did time as as the actual film too, like to cut it short, made the movie even more intenser. Um, just with like 1917. 1917 is yeah. only like, maybe like two hours, no, like. Hour and fifty. Simple I gotta see it. To, I can see it on Tuesday, so I'll let you know. Dead. Yeah. All right. Well, what's it called? Elephant, the searching elephant. I'm gonna look it up. I'll, I'll look it up. You you close out the show, and I'll I'll look it up. All right. Well, once again, thank you, Victor, for coming on, being our second official guest on the Illustrated Podcast, hosted by Sergio and David. Um, Vic, again, thank you for coming on. No we love no you. You're welcome back anytime, and hopefully we get to speak to you again soon. We want yeah, please, dude, come back for our 2019. I will. We want to give you a parting gift, but yeah, you know what? Let's offer him the parting gift. An elephant sitting still by by Hubo, yeah, or Hubo. I I don't know. Is it on Netflix or anything like that? Um, I don't think it's on Netflix yet. No. Okay. Um, let's offer gift. Let's offer. Let's offer Vic the the gift. The parting gift. We're not really gonna do that, are we? I mean, that's all we have to offer him at this moment. I mean, at the end of the day, that, it's like... Does that really have to be an institution this podcast? <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be an institution. Look, we can keep doing that if you offer your professor when we have him on here the gift. Are you going to do that? No. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> it stays in the bedroom. Uh, nah, man, but, like, um, like for real, though, like, this has, like, been, like, really helpful. So, like, thank you for your time. No, no, thanks like, for coming out, man. Seriously. Uh, like, I mean, again, like, I get to hear... Dude, like, I was supposed to actually, like, um, there's a guy that they kind of were like trying to hook me up with like with film and shit but he like did documentaries but he never really wrote back so it was kind of like a you know like a letdown but i i understood he had to be doing film so like this is like bro this is like as important as you know because again it's just your viewpoints of of, about either me doing film uh school or anything but at the end of the day it's like you know i just gotta like create my own journey and create my own you know scripts like how you've been doing because wait till you see a film set with that's, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, I feel like um, with just getting to know you more and talking about film, I feel like once we get to a set, I think that's even going to be like the exposure. Yeah, man. The set is uh, it's amazing. The set's the best place the on the planet, honestly. Dude, I, I'm the best boom, man. I love it. There's just so much energy and it's just like there's like chaos, but it's like trying to control the chaos. And it's like this. It's uncut oh gems. Cause it, like it is uncut <laughs> gems. It is un- it's uncut <laughs> gems all day. Every day you're Open on the it. Fucking door. <laughs> yes. Dude, there's so there's so much tension there, but it's just it's so satisfying. You know, oh um, man. So oh I man. can't wait. I can't wait, bro. I can't wait. Hey right, KG. Well. Shouldn't you be at practice? Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> this this is how I win. Yeah, this is how I win. That's a great that's going to go down. It's probably one of the best cinematic quotes, in my opinion. Which this one? is how I win. This is how I win. It's perfect. I used it. I've used it like 10 times with this guy for like just memes on <laughs> anything. I know, but I love I love the I, I disagree. <laughs> when he's, he's like, put in the bed. And that's the stupidest bed I ever heard. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. I disagree. How do you know? I got a feeling. <laughs> so good. Just like fucking a uh, 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 fan in Star Wars. 
when they ask him like, "Oh, how did you know that was the ship right there?" He's like, "It was a feeling." Because <laughs> everyone has a fucking force now. <laughs> Don't even get me started on Star Wars. No, oh, how how are we gonna get entrance there? Oh, I fucking hate you. But like I said, I want up my fucking ass. So take up <laughs> take this fucking commander shield or dude. We should sun do that. This fucking we should do like a rant, like just like this rant fucking Star Wars, Wars sun you pass. I'll let you park we, anywhere. We should just we should do commentary on all the movies and just just. I want to do that. I want to do that with Lifetime movies. Well, we gotta our, find our Hallmark movies. You gotta, you gotta pick some Hallmark movies for us, then. Dude, we just had a whole fucking buffet of Christmas movies that we missed the boat. We did miss the boat, yes, but maybe, maybe next year. I'm not waiting 11 months. <laughs> Dude, they well make then pick one. They make movies. They make movies. <laughs> they make movies for like every occasion. Right, for real, we've been doing this for two and a half All hours. Right. Vic, I want to thank you for coming out. Thank it was you, great. Thank you, Vic. Appreciate it. Appreciate I can't it. wait till we do this again. Seriously. All right, what's our podcast called? Welcome. Oh, wait, no, not welcome. No. Well, not welcome. Man, it's been so long. Because I had a thing that I did on TCR where it was like a whole intro, and I just, I haven't. I usually, I'm actually the one to take care I of the I haven't even developed the intro. But I want for this you one. to do it. I want you to sign us off. Well, thank you for watching Illustrated. Uh, I, this was David. This was Vic. Uh, I was Sergio. And uh, well, we'll see you next week.